Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tacona Morning Drive podcast. Uh, this episode I sat down in a car park in a 1993 Fiat Panda with uh, Jim McGill who is probably best known from Twitter and for doing interesting adventures in cars like taking a Volkswagen XL1 from Poland into the States, getting almost to where he was going and having a bit of a medical emergency and taking said Panda um, on some pretty wild long journeys across kind of the whole planet really. Um, this episode was kind of suggested to me from a, a friend um, so thank you to, to Chris Horn who um, I know because he won one of my t-shirts and we've very quickly become friends so always another nice expression of how the car world connects people but it was an absolute pleasure to sit down with Jim uh, for three hours in this panda so this episode is possibly the longest one I've done I probably should have cut it in half but I quite like doing continued conversation without mixing it up or chopping it up so with that on with the podcast Right, I've clicked record now, but that doesn't really mean anything other than whatever we say is going to be heard. It's not like, right, now we have to be formal. No, I know. We've spent the last hour and a half just chin-wagging. Yes. So we'll spend the next hour doing the same, I think. Yes, and just try not repeat any of the stories I told you not to broadcast. Yeah, I can't remember which ones they were, so you might have to give me some sort of <laughs> signal. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Um, but yeah, this is a casual chat, as they always are, with a person of somewhat interest in the car world. And you were recommended to me, Jim, Chris Horn, who uh, people may know from winning his XR3i and lesser known from winning my T-shirt, introduced us at Radwood. And he was like, you have to get Jim on the podcast. He has so many stories. You have to talk to him. I was like, oh, I actually know who that is. I heard from him a story on the internet. So yes, let's get some stories down. Um, so there's only one question that I ever have on these. It's who are you and what do you do? I'm Jim McGill and I'm a desperate housewife. Perfect. Fantastic. Um, so with which the, episode of Desperate Housewives will we have seen? Uh, it's the one with the Fiat Panda. The one with the Fiat Panda. The one with the Fiat Panda, yeah. Um, and for some context, we are currently sat in Jim's Fiat Panda. And by Fiat Panda, what year is this? Uh, 1991. Wow, six years newer than my Renault 5, which is yeah. parked next to us. Um, but yeah, this is a mobile podcast studio now. Yes, first, this is its first time. Did get interviewed on uh, by the BBC once. Did in, you in this uh, for cool. for the radio? Um, but I'm pretty sure, like the guy who was like it was in Belfast, and the guy who interviewed me pretty much was what like Professor Waffle from uh, Bagpuss. Right. You're too young, and you have no idea what that. I is. know what Bagpuss is, yeah. but I have never watched any of it. It was a wooden woodpecker, right? And uh, yeah, he pretty much interviewed me, and I was like, he was basically trying to get as far away as possible from us. <laughs> like, you know, like you're a weird old man, leave me alone, stop asking me. It was it was one of those uh, radio things where it's like, do you remember like it was A to B tales of modern motoring, where they just like got people with cars and they talked to them in their cars and they made them look like idiots right now yeah, they did a that. radio version of this and they kind of got roped into it and it, like anyway very long story about yes this is not the first time i've done this but it's the first time that i've done it as a podcast right yeah you you were somewhat not reluctant but kind of i had to put my salesman hat on a little bit to go don't worry it's not a, an interview as such it is just a chat but the idea is that it acts as like an example of chats can be casual and they don't need to be scary and they don't need to be daunting 
but we've always got this common ground of cars. And yeah. if we can use cars to start conversations and build connections, then those connections and conversations can lead into places where it might need to be a bit more serious. But it's okay to have those conversations still. And if we use cars as the the common ground that connects us and we build this kind of mindset in the community that it's okay to talk about the tough stuff when it's relevant or when you need to as much as it's okay to talk about cars and mm. chat shit and tell jokes pull each other's legs and stuff like that and that's what this exists as it's a chat if we go into some places to do with mental health then we go there if we don't we don't it, there's no expectation just because the branding is raising mental health awareness it's not a so Jim welcome to your therapy session where do we begin well you made that joke <laughs> earlier because I said the thing about how uh, I grew up in the troubles in Northern Ireland and uh, from with very religious parents as a screaming homosexual so hmm. uh, we're probably going to hit the mental health stuff quite quickly well <laughs> we've went, already started now so and you, you kind of went Jim it's not therapy and I go no it's not therapy because it doesn't involve alcohol <laughs> well, my other half is a therapist it's so, uh, <laughs> what us poor people call therapy yeah um to give Grace some credit, we don't use alcohol when she's giving therapy to people. Um, oh, sorry, no, this was specifically, specifically Northern Irish Northern Ireland therapy. therapy. Yeah. Right, I see. Yeah. Um, so that, as we've started there, we might as well continue. Um, that must have been an interesting place and period to grow up in. As yeah, and the, the thing was, though, um, it's, it's, it has sort of like, there is car connections there as well. My mother ran a old-fashioned petrol station which did like it didn't sell like french fancies it like did tires and oil changes proper one then yeah with guys who came out and put petrol in your car but she had a she had a contract for the rguc which were the police at the time and so that made her a legitimate target oh yeah definitely and she's in a building that inherently has a lot of flammable liquid around yeah although no well the thing is though is this it's strange because like you know one of my because she would get, because obviously it's in the days before 24-hour petrol stations, so, yeah. you know, she would get a call from the police station saying that, you know, we have X number of armoured Ford Cortinas that need fuel because there's a situation. <laughs> Could you open the garage? So one of us was usually woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning because she had in her eye, in her head that if she drove down with a child in the car... You were less likely to less be. likely to be a target. Unfortunately, history has proven that to be a bit nonsensical. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because they usually put something under your car. Yeah, it's it's not a person sat waiting for you. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, but yeah, no. So, I mean, she had uh, she worked for this guy who was into uh, I can't remember like Formula Three type racing. Right. Okay. And he was really into his cars. I mean, she used to pick me up in from school sometimes in a metallic purple Mark One Ford Transit. Like a, you know, like the super van. Yeah, yeah. You know, with the like, you know, the uh, slot uh, wolf face, wolf face, the wolf face wheel. Yeah, like chrome. Very cool. A huge wing on the back. You know, and she used to pick me up at sliding doors, and she's like, "Get in!" It's like, okay. It's like a military operation. She just rolls up in the door, slides open. Yeah, and just eighteen. In the back. <laughs> and uh, so, like, but yeah, no, she had. Uh, when I was very, very small, she used to, uh, there was no, like, secure car or stuff like that was available. So she used to put me in, like, a little Maggie Simpson-style outfit. Yeah. <laughs> and then she would go to the garage and she'd get the, the, the takings and she'd put all the money into <laughs> the, the suit. And then she'd borrow John, her boss's car, which is usually an RS2000, uh, Lotus Talbot Sunbeam. I think I got that in the right order. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Um, or he had a Jag XJ6. 
nice. you know, so she would borrow one of those and like you should lend to Belfast and she would go to the bank and one of the days uh, she was getting out just as a policeman got shot right outside the bank Jesus. and then this thing descended really quickly into a riot and someone threw a petrol bomb into, I think it was the RS2000, so it just went up and she grabs me and she's running. And the front of my zip is starting to come down in my little Maggie Simpson stuff. Oh, no. <laughs> and <laughs> it's weird, because obviously I have no, I have like, no recollection yeah, of this. Yeah. So, like, in my mind, it's like some sort of John Woo film. <laughs> you know, she's running, money is flying everywhere. Her boss had a really bad day that day. Yeah. <laughs> well, all, all you needed was, like, two doves flying across, and you really had some sort of, like, 90s, like, you know, action flick. Um, but yeah, that, that was the story. So she lost a couple of cars that way. Um, she got a, a an army tank thing, you know, those pigs, Saracens sort of things. I think drove over the Lotus Talbot something because they were in a queue of traffic and they realised that it was a very long street in Belfast called Corporation Street. And at the last minute, they realised the bomb was at the other end where they'd parked. So they just thought, oh. right, we'll just crush everything. Well, it was literally, they, they told everybody to get out of their cars and run. Um, but the, the, the army thing just pushed its way through. So, yeah. Um, it was, so, yeah. That's wild. And someone of my generation who was born after all of this. Yes, this is all news to you. Yeah. yeah. We have, I have no connection to those things, even though they happen so close by. Hmm. And I, when I, so when I moved to Brighton um, for my old job, I had a week stay down in Brighton to kind of get started and get to know the area and look for our house and this and the other and because it was on company money I stayed in the Brighton Grand <laughs> right and the thing that everyone you go oh, I stayed in the Brighton oh that's why they tried to blow up Thatcher <laughs> everybody and the, the hotel itself has like oh this bit of this floor was where the bomb went off you know like it, this was like 2019 I was like that was so long ago that I have no connection yeah. to that but it's Completely so different. wild that where I was is where this historical event happened and now it's just back to normal and it's this big old hotel again. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's weird that it happened within well, within living memory in our lifetimes and stuff like that. Yes. Or, Although I am old enough to be your dad, so that's You are Yes, I am. Three years older than my dad. <laughs> Sorry to to drop that one on you. Oh yes, yeah, fine, it's grand. It's this fine. is the second time we've ever met as well. <laughs> I'm yes. just immediately yes. insulting you. It's um, it's okay, I had to go with your trousers earlier. You did. I was uh, a hipster, apparently. Yes. I, I am wearing trousers that don't go all the way down to my shoes. And have turn-ups. They're not turn-ups. They just stop. Oh, okay. Um, but I'm wearing trainer socks. Ah, right. So you can see my ankle for uh, for all the Victorian ladies out there. Um, and I am wearing a very 70s-styled shirt. Well, I did turn up in a Renault 5, so it, it's appropriate. Yeah, which what, what says what, uh, Paris edition? It does have pa- it's Paris spec. Paris spec. that's where there's a piece of trim missing. And on the same side, there's a dent in one of the doors, and some of the trim is cracked, and the wheels are getting rustier. And that front bumper is held on by a bolt, which I'm too scared to undo, just in case it's holding on more than the bumper. Um, and it cut out twice on the way here. <laughs> okay, yep, definitely. I don't know what that is caused by, and I've got to go to Leicester on Sunday. Ah, uh, but you said it's only when you decelerate. It seems to be like coasting towards a junction. Okay. It just kind of goes, I've not got enough revs, and then just cuts out. But it doesn't like splutter. You get to the junction, and then you try and pull away, and you realise that it's completely turned off. You're like, oh, okay, I've got to try that one again. It's a really early form of stop-start. Yeah, it just stops. Okay. And then you have to start. You are the start part of the stop-start technology. I'm saving the planet, is what I'm doing. <laughs> um, well, yeah, so... 
Obviously, right now, we're set in your Fiat Panda. Yes. Which you got for how much? £120. And how long ago was that? Mm, 2005. Five, so 2005. 17 years ago. Yeah. Which is quite a while. It's the longest I've ever owned a car. Yeah. I've never owned anything that's like This car is old enough to drive itself. Mm, self-driving, <laughs> yeah. No, it was originally bought because... Uh, my mum was always like a really big, you know, small car person. Yeah. Uh, she, yeah. Even though she kind of like, you know, she did like, you know, driving anything, but uh, she always had personal cars were like Renault Five. She had a couple of those. She had Fiat Pandas and that sort of thing. But the, the earliest one I remember was the Fiat One Two Seven Sport. Oh, nice. With and it was amazing because like had a ten forty nine cc engine in like the nineteen seventies, and it, 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 it was seventy three horsepower. That's a reasonable amount from that small of an yeah. engine. Yeah, like for a little production car with you know no fuel injection, no, yeah. no nothing. You know, so I think I get forty-seven, or it, it had forty-seven when it yeah, allegedly it had factory out of France, yeah. and that's eleven hundred cc. And it had a very really nice exhaust on it, so it had like a very roary sound to it as well, which kind of made it sound faster than what it was. So that was kind <laughs> of like where I kind of got the bug for small cars, and yeah. especially small Fiat's. My dad had a two hundred five GTI. Uh, and I cried when he sold it. And what did he trade it for? A D-Reg Celica. Normally, that would be pretty cool in this day and age. Yeah, pop-up headlights. Yeah, well, that's it, was the, it was the wedge one as well. It was before the rounded front one. Mm. Um, but the guy that bought his 205 turned up in an XJS. And I was like, can't you just swap him for that? And I was like, yeah, that's an XJS. And this is a 205. <laughs> and this was, what, 18 years ago if not longer, um, 24 years ago, sorry. And that's not when 205 GTIs were expensive. <laughs> no, and, and nor were they just quite as cool either. Mm. It was the 1.9, black, red interior. Five-year-old me has that burned into my head. Yeah. Um, which is arguably a cool spec. Him and his best mate at uni bought one, like each. They had a black one and his friend had a silver one. And his friend span it on the A38 and hit the central reservation, wrote it off. Ouch. Um, my dad was like, right, I'm getting rid of mine before I kill us all. <laughs> I, I, um, it's amazing how you like these things stick in your head from a very young age, because um, one of my earliest memories is my parents had a Fiat 124 wagon, state car. Oh, cool. And it was navy blue with an orange interior. And I have cool no recollection of this car except for it because they used to carry it because in the 70s, you, you know, when you had a lot of kids. You just throw them all in the back. They were in the boot. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I, uh, they had actually uh, got some offcut of carpet that was orange because I don't, I don't think it would have had carpet of boot because it was a late 60s car. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's my earliest memory is this like being in the back of this thing in the sea of orange. And it's just, and I would, and I worked out like that was, I was born in 72 and they sold it in 74. So I was very young, but my earliest memories are being in the back of a car. It's it's these kind of things that build you as a person, though, isn't it? Like I have always been a car person, just from being around car people. Like mm. I think all of my family, like yeah, when you were like four, you were like that's a BMW and that's a Mercedes, mm-hmm. and it's those kind of like it's not a like a tribe but you fit into that like you're a football person or a car some people are multiples of these things but you kind of have that ingrained in you 
from the get-go, really. Don't you? I, th- I think the thing with me is because my dad was a car person, and it's a bit like, you know, there's American sort of, like, you know, movies where they go, like, nothing in common, but they could talk about baseball. Yeah, yeah. It, it was the car thing. I mean, he actually, he was, uh, he, he worked as uh, an instrument pipe fitter. Right. Which uh, is a job long gone, but when you watch those Bond movies and they're in the control room of the villain's lair, yeah, yeah. and they have all those little gauges flicking back and forth, that was him. they are connected to a pipe, because this is obviously pre-electronics. Yeah. And this pipe runs half a mile across a factory and into a machine. Right. And somebody has to cal- set that all up and calibrate. So that's what he used to do. So right. he earned good money doing that. Yeah, it's really um, like an engineering. Yeah. So he always had, he always like he had a Cortina GXL. Uh, he had a Fiat 125 uh, with a twin cam, I think that was one. Um, what else did he have? Uh, he had a Golf GTI. You know, a couple of you know, some cool like stuff. That, yeah. But uh, yeah, he was a car guy, and then he went to DeLorean after that because obviously electronics were back then. If you are connected to the DeLorean story in that way, yeah. Well, he 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 he. So everybody in Northern Ireland was at some point employed by DeLorean. Yeah, pretty much. Um, because it, it was one of the very, it's one of the very few first few sort of cross community jobs. Mm. I know somebody will probably jump in and say, "Oh no, my father did this job and he did that," but this was a big factory. Yeah, and I mean, because if you ever go to Titanic in Belfast, they, you know, like there's a little note somewhere that like it tells you, like you know, at the time when Titanic built, there was like you know a hundred thousand people worked in the shipyard. Yeah, yeah. That is a completely made up figure, but it's right. annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And two of them were Catholics. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a mixed. <laughs> so, and it's you know that 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 was just unfortunate ways. But DeLorean was the very first um, big manufacturer of something, which wanted a cross community workforce. Yeah. And for a lot of people, it was the very first time that you that they had worked with people from the other side because they lived in these little bubbles in these little ghettos. Mm. And that, that's why people, obviously, you know, the car has a bit of a stigma to it until Back to the Future turned up. Yeah, if it hadn't been for Back to the Future, that car would have very quickly faded into relative obscurity until the likes of us lot go, that thing's got cool wing doors. It's a crap engine, but it's got cool wing doors. Let's go and well, I mean, it's, it's, it's the curse of Northern Ireland. I mean, no one would have heard of Titanic unless it sank. Mm. Um, you know, the DeLorean like, was terrible, except for like it made a good movie car. Yeah. Um, we exported terrorism worldwide, you know, so. You guys have done some uh, pretty pronounced things known for being shit. <laughs> yes. yes. We have brought some <laughs> terrible things to the world. Yeah. Um, but you've got your charm, so it's okay. Yeah, that's not true. But yeah, no, he he worked there for about eighteen months. But then when they uh, when that kind of like wound up, uh, he it was just at that point it was a really it was a really difficult time for the troubles. And uh, oh, were you getting followed? No, there's a guy. Um, oh, putting I, cones out. I wanted to make sure that he wasn't the security guy locking a gate, because that would have made it an interesting end to the podcast it if we got would. locked in. Although we could very easily get over those little grass verges in our very lifted, yeah, tiny cars that were made when cars could get over a curb without disintegrating. Um, and I think we're safe. Yeah. The other thing as well is they don't actually have a gate. It's in the middle. It's like a little swing oh. arm. Oh yeah, I see it now. Oh, okay, um, all right. We're in the football stadium car park, which is the quietest car park in the area. And there's no kids in courses um, nearby, so we should be relatively safe however this is the first time I've ever sat with a bloke in a car in a car park <laughs> yeah, sorry I just sat with virtually a complete stranger you met on the internet <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, doesn't sound like a date or anything no no we've already been out for dinner and this is where we've ended up in yeah. the car park <laughs> um, and I've already referenced the fact that I lived in Brighton but no it's okay you're quite I think, safe with I it. think Grace would be the scariest person to be around if she had any inkling of any disingenuity yeah. Yeah. and that you normally don't broadcast this thing on the internet 
No, if you are meeting strangers in car parks, you tend to keep it to yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, not make jokes about it on no. podcasts. But it, not to try and make this any worse than it already sounds, that would be a very good cover. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to get back to uh, to you, Jim, and the cars, I came across you, or I think I'd already followed you on Twitter, but the first thing I remember kind of seeing you and connecting to you was your trip in the XL1 that didn't quite go to plan. No. Um, and I, I felt a lot of empathy for you, seeing you in the hospital and things like that, and a lot of, oh, this poor guy, he's having this really cool trip in an XL1 and it's all gone to shit. Yeah, um, th- th- this year hasn't been particularly good for trips, because, um, so I, I freelance for the Lane Motor Museum in Nashville and Tennessee, Yep. and I'm their kind of, like, you know, go-to guy, where they kind of go, right, we want... They're not a normal American museum. Um, they have the largest collection of Tatras um, outside of the Tatra Museum, which is wow. in Slovakia. I, I couldn't Slovakia. tell you. I really couldn't. One of, the bits One of that, those yeah. Eastern European countries. Because yeah, they used to be Czech, Czech Slovakia. Yeah. Um, they, uh, they, 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 the guy that owns it, uh, Jeff Lane, is literally the automotive Willy Wonka, and he just loves, you know. Um, <laughs> I mean, we we went go kart racing in the basement with him around the cars oh, and stuff amazing. like that. He's just insane, absolutely insane. Goes racing in a Tatra. Um, you know, I, sometimes I, I have this like thing in my head because sometimes I have to ring up and go, like, you know, Jeff, it's all went horribly wrong, and I get a secretary, and she's like, no, Jeff's like crossing the Urals in a nuclear powered unicycle. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite, but you know, it's just sort of like it's oh, a good really. example. Yeah, it's, it's an example. So yeah. yeah, he he kind of like really quite enjoys uh, his uh, collection that he opened to the public. He's got about five hundred cars. Wow. So the XL one was something he wanted uh, about four years ago. Yeah. So I went to Germany, bought the car for him. Uh, Find that it actually wasn't really a second. It didn't have enough miles on it to be a brand new or be a second-hand car, which yeah. would be much easier to import. Um, so it had like a thousand kilometers. It needed five thousand kilometers. So I had to then drive it in circles around Poland until we got five thousand kilometers on it, <laughs> causing chaos. You know, the first night I checked into a hotel, I said, you, "You have a car park? Yes, it's the town square." <laughs> oh, on your I mean, website. a hundred thousand pound car. <laughs> yes, of which they made two hundred. Yeah, um, and it's like. You know, but you said you'd like car park it. Yeah, yeah, that's it over there. Went and parked it. Got up really early the next morning. And walked over. There's two police down there, and I'm like, no, 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 no. And uh, you know, they spoke to me in Polish. Now I'm sorry, don't speak Polish. Now, oh, we we stay with your car all night. Really? Can, can we selfies? Can we get selfies? They're sitting in it, taking pictures and stuff like that. And I was going, this is insane. That's the least you can do if you've had a private security <laughs> yeah. for the night. And then uh, we were driving it driving sort of uh, near Titchi, where Fiat have their big factory. Yeah. Because I saw, oh, call Ryan and see the Fiat factory, you know, because I like Fiat. And uh, we were driving out of town, and there was um, a guy in a cash guy. Mm. So obviously, other side of the road. So I'm on like the slow lane, for want of a better word. He's in that lane over there, and he's hanging out the window, like you know, with the camera, taking pictures. And I could see up the front because it was like a divided highway, but there's grass verge in the middle of it. Yeah. So this this car had broken down and it sort of pulled half onto the grass verge. And he was approaching it. At- and, well, there was a couple of cars, and um, I could sort of see he couldn't see that the Renault Megane in front of him was actually starting to slow down and then put on the brakes very suddenly when the guys worked out there wasn't a big enough gap to fit in and I'm like oh and he's like mm, yeah take pictures yeah great. Oh, God. and he plowed right into the back of this Megane and you know why modern cars are just all plastic mm. and these two cars just exploded yeah, burst, in this yeah. 
shower of plastic shards. God. And they start pinging off the side of the like the XL one. Oh. You know, and I'm like, oh, no. And and the weird thing is though it didn't actually do it any damage, but I was wearing this kind of woolly fleece thing and I hadn't actually realized because the wind this is these tiny little windows like the DeLorean. Yeah. And I'd wind the window down to kind of like, you know, do this. But obviously I didn't have time to do anything. Um, but a bit of the, the one of the shrapnel had come in and got stuck in my fleece. <laughs> So, literally 200 yards up the road, there was a McDonald's, and I pulled over going, <laughs> hyperventilating, hyperventilating, yeah. need a cup of tea, need a cup of tea. And as I got out, I didn't realize when I slammed the gullwing door down that this piece of trim had like fallen onto the door sill and punched a hole in this probably thousand pound piece of plastic because they're God, so yeah, few. so rare. Yeah, because I mean, the headlights were, I mean, the price list on that was ridiculous. Like, you couldn't change the instrument binnacle from kilometers to miles per hour. What? So you had to actually buy a new binnacle to like just get to a, do that, just to get that. And it was two grand, and this thing was out of this thing was out of a Volkswagen hub. Yeah, yeah. But it was just obviously particularly set up that it was you know for the XL one. Um, the headlights were four grand. I mean, just everything on the car. Weren't the headlights from like a Phaeton or something? Were they like? Or no, were they, they were, then they were, shaped customly? They were. To make them um, they were LED um, oh. projector light things that were specific. Obviously, the units in the back were probably from another Volkswagen. But the actual unit at the front. And the problem was, though, is because obviously it was such a low production car, yeah. the cost of all the parts were only spread across 200 cars, yeah, as yeah. opposed to like 3 million cars for Ford Fiestas or whatever. It's mad. That's why all these bespoke and low production hypercars are £2 million plus. Because yeah. all the parts have to be. Yeah, all that development, everything is going into 15 cars, yeah. as opposed to being spread across millions of cars. It's it's a mad world once you start exploring further into it. Like I very briefly, um, I say briefly, it's like two days. This thing went from oh, this would be a good opportunity to absolute like run away in two days. There's a small. They they want to be a sports car manufacturer based in Cambridge, actually, which oh. is where you are going this evening. Yes. Um, that they build a steel, like tubular chassis, fiberglass bodywork, and put a one JZ Toyota engine in the back mm, with yeah. a one or two turbos connected to it. And it's got the McLaren F1 three seat layout, and it's got like mm. a Group C cockpit kind of style to it. It's very cool. It's kind of like a Noble, but made even fewer. And um, they're just doing them as and when. Like they get an order, they'll build one because they've. How much do they charge? Originally they were sixty grand, and then he he kind of sat down and went, oh, "These probably need to be eighty grand to make any money." <laughs> um, and I, I was looking at doing their branding and marketing and PR and kind of just it's two guys over sixty that are doing it. They just need someone that's not a stranger to the internet and yeah. how photos work and things like that to go look. Here's some imagery. Here's events to go to. Here's videos yeah. and things like that. And um, yeah, within two days it had gone from, oh, this would be great to, Jesus Christ, get away from this scenario before it gets any worse. <laughs> and I think I'd had an argument with one of them on the phone because he'd got me and someone else mixed up and he'd fallen out with that guy and started shouting at me. Okay. And I basically said, you don't get to shout at me. That's not how this works. And he took offence to me not being a servant of some sort. And I was like, right, I think uh, I think we'll take a step away from this. Best of luck to you. But uh, this, this is one of the joys of being a desperate housewife because you're no longer at the mercy of someone getting out of bed on the wrong side. Yeah. 
it's... I'm trying to grow my brand so that I can be that person one day. Yeah, the, the self-employed person. Yeah. yeah, the man that gets to be on the wrong side. Oh, of the right, okay, yeah. when you have your minions. Yeah, well, and I just get to sit and draw things and make lots of money from drawing things and I can create events and community stuff, I'll be happy. Do you do all the designs for the t-shirts yourself? Pretty much every single one. Um, I've had three that have been done by other people. So two have been done by Grace's dad, mm-hmm. he's a graphic designer, and one has been done by Terry Putman, aka Illustrator Maker, oh. who is a previous podcast guest and a friend of mine, doesn't live very far from here actually. Um, we were chatting about doing something together because he does illustration, car art and stuff like that. And he said, oh, I'd love to do a design for you. And I'm always happy to A, take a freebie and B, work with mm-hmm. people that I appreciate their, yeah. their skill. So he drew the Lamborghini Lego Countach. Mm, yeah. The artwork from that, he hand drew it and we put it on a t-shirt. So was graphic design something you did in college or nope. was this just sort of I, I have learned how to design by starting this. Oh, wow. <laughs> I started with, I bought a Windows Surface laptop, downloaded some free vector software called Inkscape and sat in a cafe in Hove, where I was living at the time, and just Googled and YouTubed how to use this software wow. until I'd created a rudimentary logo, and then it's grown from there. Do you, do you ever get any blowback? Because I'm just kind of thinking in my head, because you know the way sometimes you see on social media that um, sometimes there's a little bit of bad blood. There's like journalists, and then obviously there's influencers, mm. and then they go to like some launch, and it's like oh, there's nothing but influencers there waving selfie sticks. Yeah. You know, they didn't. They didn't do well in your case. They've done their time. You didn't <laughs> do your three years at you know was it Coventry where they did. Yeah, crack, yeah. You know? No, I've not had not had anything actually. Um, either because people don't know that that's how it works. Mm-hmm. They do now. They do now. I actually, my, so I still work a full time job. I have leveraged Tacona into design and marketing for another company. Mm-hmm. So I am a designer and a marketing ex- executive, I think it's classed as, for an actual company. Someone actually pays me a living mm-hmm. to do this now. Um, but the difficulty is the skill set is the skill set. You can either learn it and do it, or you can't. And you either learn it and do it when you're 19 at uni or you learn it and do it in your spare time mm. but as you've learnt it and you've done it yeah. you, you can only draw lines and fill them with colour that's that's kind of it especially for what I do because it has to be able to be printed on a t-shirt Yeah. so I don't think it makes that much difference as long as it looks good and because mm. I'm doing all the other stuff as well I kind of get a bit of a bit of a free pass because no one's going to be like well your design work's dropped off a little bit it's like yeah because I'm setting up coffee and car events I'm recording a podcast I'm trying to do some YouTube that takes far too much time than it should do and set this as a business and do the branding and all that so I get a little bit of a a clean clean break from yeah I, I have to say and this probably sounds really patronising but you've done very well oh, thank you very much you have done very well because I mean you know just looking down when you go on the website and you look down your guest list yeah. I mean, you've got a lot of people who have, you know, either Zoomed with you or met up with you or whatever, you it's, know, to chat for an hour about what yeah. they're passionate about. And that's really impressive. The the thing is, I I only do things that I'd like, if that makes sense. If I'm going to do something for myself, I'm going yeah, to remember who you're like. talking to. That's okay. Yeah. Desperate housewife. <laughs> Desperate housewife just who does what Drives all over the place in a Fiat yes, Panda. That's, exactly. So we're a kindred spirit to a certain degree. Exactly. Um, I, however, don't have, oh, not yet, she's 
she's getting there. She's got a doctorate now, so I might be able to be a desperate housewife one day. Um, I, I have to earn some money to pay my share at the minute. Um, so I've always wanted to do my own thing because it's nice to... I'm a bit of a control freak. Mm. Yeah, me too. So if I'm going to do something for the rest of my life, I might as well be in control of what it is. Yeah. And if I'm going to do something a lot, I'm going to do something that I want to do. So all the stuff that I put out and all the stuff that I do, it's just because I want to do it. I mean, that I enjoy watching other people's stuff or seeing other people's artwork or listening to other people's podcasts. So why not do my own? What made, what made you decide to do that? I mean, with like, because it's a very sort of there's a multi-pronged thing where you where you have a brand, you have a product, you have the mental health, and you have a podcast. Yeah. So I mean, is that the secret to modern business? No, for me, everything that I'm doing has this central focus of normalising talking mental health. There's a lot to be said for the charities and the services that have the helplines, and I give ten percent of profits to Calm because they do that function. Mm-hmm. The biggest difficulty is, as great as they are, if people don't pick up the phone yeah. or if people don't feel like they can talk, even if it's to a, a person they've never met whose job it is to listen, then the services are for nothing mm-hmm. because people will suffer in silence because they feel like they can't or they feel like they shouldn't or they feel like that it's a weakness. So everything that I do has this goal of growing this normality around it because... I go to all these car events, I design all these t-shirts that have cars on them and all of this automotive stuff. I sit and chat with interesting people from the car world such as yourself with the idea of, well, if the brand exists and this is what is part of building a brand and being seen in as many different places as possible, mm-hmm. the power of that brand awareness being connected to the mental health side will make a bigger difference than if I just started a chat line. Yeah. Because you think of Nike, you think of Just Do It, you think of different brands and they kind of represent a lifestyle or a a thing. And brand awareness is all about building your lifestyle that you're connected to. Well, my lifestyle is cars and talking to people. And they inherently go together quite nicely Mm -hmm. because you go to a car meet, you get chatting, you park up in a Fiat Panda next to a guy in a Renault 5 and if we didn't know each other, we would have done within the first five minutes because that's what car people do and you've and well, it does attract I mean because when we were at McDonald's there earlier like those two guys like were getting into whatever car it was I think like, it was like a Swift Sport and a, yeah, a two who are suddenly like you know meerkats you yeah. know, who just got up and they're like oh and they're like you know, cameras like you know, that sort of thing yeah exactly and for me I mean I so I, I worked in the in the secure psychiatric hospitals which anybody this isn't supposed to be an interview of me by the way this is supposed <laughs> to be me chatting to you most people that have heard my podcast have probably heard all of this <laughs> Um, but because we've just met, I'll, I'll, I'll extend an olive branch. Um, having worked in the hospitals, mental health is a, a thing that I'm very passionate about. And having been through some pretty shitty times growing up, having a car was my escape. And getting people mm. to talk was my biggest skill set in the hospitals. So it just made a lot of sense to to connect the two. Like It didn't originally start as a mental health thing. Um, when I worked for UPS, if I went into a business meeting with a stranger and it transpired that we were, they were a car person it would just make the conversation so much yeah. easier because you're not talking to a stranger you're talking to someone with a shared interest so the whole idea originally was oh why don't I do some like business attire like a shirt like I'm wearing today that has the golf livery running through yeah. so when I go into that business meeting it makes that barrier so much easier to break because they go they're the golf colours or that's the martini colours and then yeah. you've got that started and then that then evolved into well 
and we get people to talk in a business and we get people to talk for the actually talking doing some good with it and having the, had the background in mental health it just very easily led into that direction it's a little bit like I was saying earlier on with me and my dad yeah. know, we didn't really have anything in common but we could always talk about cars like exactly. you know, the Americans do with like baseball yeah so that's the whole premise really like the podcast and the YouTube and the the designs and the clothing and the, it's all for that right let's build this brand awareness and that brand awareness is around a brand that stands for connecting people and getting them to talk to one another um, and it, it's, it's, it gives me a direction to focus on and it stops me feeling so bad when I have a bad day at work because I go wow well, it's just a day job I can I can do this. this yeah, keep growing. Yeah, because I, I only gave up work in 2015. Oh right, okay. So I, I worked with um, Carphone Warehouse for 15 years and O2 or what was Cellnet before that. So I was about 20 years in the mobile industry. Yeah, and it was you know sales. And yeah, yeah, yeah. P- pressure, and it's like, hey, I don't care. I drove like a fit panda to Africa. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, that's my day job. You're just paying my bills. Yeah. Well, tell me about driving a Fit Panda to Africa. Driving a Fit Panda to Africa. Um, I think the problem, this panda. This panda. Yeah, this panda. This, this is probably the world's first travel Fit Panda. Amazing. It's been from Istanbul to San Francisco via the Arctic and the Sahara. Amazing. Um, and it's so much tidier than my Renault 5. <laughs> that's because we spent a fortune on it. Because yeah. nobody actually told me driving a car halfway around the world would kill it. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, Fiat do not put that into the handbook. It's not in the marketing. No, they don't go like if you put like it's got one hundred and sixty-two thousand miles on it. That's not minute. bad though. It has thirty-four thousand on it when I got it when it was fourteen. Good on you. Yeah. If I can offer a comparative, my GT86, which is a twenty fourteen car that I got in twenty sixteen with nine thousand miles on, mm-hmm. is a few hundred miles short of ninety-nine thousand. Okay, all right. So, so yeah. ninety thousand in six years. But it's. T- yeah, it's got a Subaru engine, so it's already been replaced. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that, yeah. yeah. Blew up after 40,000 Because this, this is this problem in the States, is it? Because Vodafone, or not Vodafone, sorry, Toyota won't uh, cover the warranty if there's you've been, been track day. Yeah, there's a couple of people that have had big issues with... If, you, if you're on a track day, they'll void your warranty anyway. The trouble I had was I wasn't on a track day, and it still went bang. And then they said, oh, you put the wrong oil in. And then I said, well, your service book says if you're going to drive it a bit more hot, like passionately yeah. put thicker oil in so that's what I did mm. and now you're saying that's the wrong oil even though it doesn't say that in the book oh, and you've okay. already taken the car off me and stripped it down and now you're saying this and you're asking for paperwork blah 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 so I had a big six month argument which although I don't really talk to my dad anymore credit due to him he's as persistent as I am and he's called <laughs> this Toyota franchise every day for four months mm until he got to the European sales director who has offices in Tokyo, America and the UK and just the guy had got so sick of hearing of this bloke he went just, just pay the six grand to replace this engine um, yeah it's, it's the old sort of like these people are driving me nuts just give them just yeah, give them whatever to go away irritating yeah, we, we used to do that yeah. yeah so Istanbul San Francisco Arctic Africa, Sahara, yeah. Sahara didn't order. quite make it to the Sahara. So, um, so yeah, well, basically, it really kind of started in the nineties because I used to buy Car Magazine. Yeah, and there is a copy of Car Magazine which is super famous because I think Harry Metcalf read in his Testarossa. Yeah, so there's a Testarossa to the Sahara. Yeah, and I went, oh my god, because obviously, like I'm what mid nineties, I'm what 21, 22. I'm living in Northern Ireland. I've never left Northern Ireland. Yeah, and you get this Car Magazine, and it's got a Ferrari sitting in sand dunes of the Sahara and you just like it just kind of blew my mind this is like the maddest thing you could ever do is drive to the Sahara yeah yeah 
And um, it was like, always. I'll in... do that, but in a fear of hand. Well, the thing, that was the whole thing, because it was always in the back of my mind uh, to do that. So after my mum died, I kind of went through this nostalgia phase of like wanting to. And this is a very common thing, I've been told, is you kind of want to like buy something that your parents used to drive. Yeah. Because you associate it with much happier times and being a child and eternal sunshine and ice cream and trips to the beach and that sort of thing. And uh, I couldn't find the Fiat 127. Because right. they have literally the lowest survival rate of any mainstream car that was ever sold. <laughs> like at the minute, there are four in Jesus. the UK. Tiny, tiny numbers. Um, so the closest I could get was a four wheel drive Fiat Panda. It was in Nottingham, and I bought it on yeah, eBay for. Uh, let's see, and I bought it for I think it was like four hundred and fifty pounds. Because the nineties was not as cheap as it is now. Well, no, that, this, this was about two thousand. This point, it was about two thousand and one because it was right. just after my mom died so yeah it was 2001 at that point so again at that point it is a 16 year old car it was yeah. 1987 so it's a 14 year old car roughly yeah i didn't listen in school <laughs> just correct me if the figures don't add up in future. i mean i was a trainee accountant and i still probably couldn't correct you on the numbers well that's the whole thing because my, my husband's an accountant and i keep saying to him like you know and he went no i do spreadsheets i'm really good at excel yeah that's it's it. excel yeah, yeah. It's, it's like this is how the world his world is broken down to people who use Excel and people who don't yeah yeah um, but counting is not part of using Excel so no. it does it for you my uh, my grace when she was doing her one of her core parts of her doctorate it's all statistics and she was like I'm really struggling with these statistics and how to use these spreadsheets and this that and the other and I was like oh send it over to me within an hour I'd learned how it was formulated learned how all the formulas were structured and then created her a little thing where all she had to do was put in the, the information that she needed to put in and it would just automatically give her the answer and she passed that module <laughs> just for this little tool that okay. took me an hour of googling to create because I know Excel and how that works and it is very similar to your husband it's like people who know how to use Excel yeah. and everybody else <laughs> and everybody else although I'm kind of thinking because you have to like told like a couple of different stories here where you know you went, oh, I just picked it up and I'm thinking you know because you know what I have like this filter that's missing and yeah, I go, yeah. are you fucking Joe 90 <laughs> do you remember that like the kid that just like I, learned everything I never watched Joe 90 but my dad had bigger glasses than I have when he was a kid uh, yeah so that was, was his it. nickname and he's yeah. blonde hair blue eyes yeah. so he, he was that was his name. So the only reference I have to Joe Ninety is that's what my dad looked like as yeah. a child. Yeah, well, he was, he was this kid that basically could learn anything. Right. Um, and basically, he went into this like machine and he downloaded all this information. And I'm going, that is just Google. Yeah, Google yeah. and YouTube. That's it. Uh, for me, so I don't have this inherent like Sherlockian thing where I can look at something and go, right, I understand that. There's a, uh, there is a process to everything and it, it's just a transferable skill is I learn how I know how to break things down into a way that I can comprehend mm-hmm. and then I can build on that base mm-hmm. so it's not that I can pick anything up it's that I go right if I learn how to take this to its simplest form and learn the concept okay. that establishes a foundation that I can then add on so to so it's like a formula you apply yeah it's literally things. just if, so let's take the design stuff that I do I started with the logo it's not on this car it's on the other car it's on that car yeah I've seen it it's, it's effectively brilliant. it's a rectangle with rounded corners and the end goes through it yeah it's very simple yeah. and that's kind of why it works but that I had to learn how to draw a rectangle mm-hmm. I then had to learn how to round the corners so that they were matching which I got wrong a lot now I can do it in three seconds <laughs> but it's one of those where I started with something very basic and I just had a go 
And that's pretty much how I've learned any skill. Mm -hmm. Right, take it to its very basic element. Have a go until you can do the very basic thing. And then just add bits to that. Mm -hmm. And then you learn, thanks to the modern day that we live in, through Google and YouTube and things, you can watch someone do it or you can Mm -hmm. have someone tell you how they do the more complex stuff. Then you just have a go and just keep having a go. And eventually your kind of brain goes, well, I know the process to do that now. Let's move on to the next thing. And it does inherently mean that I get bored of jobs after about three years. <laughs> so when I was 18, I left school with a U in accountancy A-level, got uh, an apprenticeship in accountancy. Not through stubbornness, I just applied for this scholarship and mm-hmm. came like second. And they went, oh, I'll hire you anyway. I'm like, okay, I guess I've got a job. And I stayed in accountancy for three years. Fell, I had a lot of stress, and accountancy's not a good one to be alone with your thoughts because you do that a lot you sit with spreadsheets and complete silence yeah. and if you go through a tough time it's not the best best job for having a difficult brain um, so I did that for three years then worked in the hospitals for three years then worked for UPS for two years then worked for a company called Enjoy who similar to what you did with Carpenter yeah. Warehouse two years that went under <laughs> and now I've started in design and marketing and I might hopefully get three years and then Tacona will be full time Hopefully. Um, technically, Tacona's the longest running thing I've ever done because that's past three years. What? Where does the name come from? Um, so, I have a friend whose dad had an Aston Martin Vulcan of all mm-hmm. cars. And I, we met because of the car at a car event. We got chatting away. And we did some promo videos for a car show they were taking the car to. And we went for dinner in the evening after we'd spent the day just messing about with two and a half million pounds worth of Aston Martin donuts and burnouts literally just messing about at Henry's car barn and um, we're chatting away and I said well your number plate doesn't match I know his name I know his ex-wife's name my friend's name and it doesn't match anything and he's like oh it's the name of my business it was like Elysium or something obscure I said well what does that mean he went nothing it means whatever the business does he said whenever I start a business I create a unique I give it a unique title and then whatever the business does, that's what that word then inherently kind of means. Mm-hmm. He said, if I'm ever starting anything new, I'll give it a new name. So then it's got, that's what that word means. So I, it was literally as I was coming up with the idea for this. So I was coming up with all sorts of words. And I was trying to be romantic and incorporate like the Greek for grace, because that's my other half's name. And that doesn't sound very good as a clothing brand. And, this, that, yeah. and then, I, I can't remember how it came about, but... So when I was a kid, I wanted to be a car designer, which in a roundabout way, I almost am, but in a more interesting way, because car designers inherently just design like corners of things and yeah. headlights and stuff I, like yeah, that. I've, got, I've got one who works for Fiat on my Twitter, who's yeah. very chatty, and I took a picture of a panda in Italy, and he went, I designed the holder of that fog light. Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm like, oh, that's I've nice. met a couple of them, and they're like, yes, I've, we're on the 12th iteration of the roof lining for a transit van. Yeah. And a transit van's roof lining is literally a rectangle. <laughs> like, I'll keep you on 11 iterations of a rectangle. Um, so I'm, I'm quite glad I didn't follow that because I'd have probably got bored of it and I wouldn't be doing what I do now, which is just drawing stuff. But that, that was the name of the car company I was going to create. Because ah. I wanted to be the next Ferrari, but my surname isn't as sexy as the Italians. Um, and looking back, I've kind of traced it to when I was a kid the Pagani Zonda had just come out and I played a lot of like Need for Speed and 
the drift cars were becoming a thing. So Japan was a huge yeah. phenomenon when I was a kid. I was obsessed with, when I get older, I'm going to go to Tokyo. Um, so my best guess is it's a combination of Tokyo and Zonda. Ah. Um, that eight-year-old me concocted in the back of a maths book. Ah. So that's that's where I think it comes from, and that's what I've told everyone. I've found out that there's a, an Easter Island or a Rapa Nui tradition called Takona. It's a form of body painting. It loosely translates to leaving a mark, ah. so it's quite appropriate. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, happy coincidence, really. Yeah. The so, annoying thing is, it's very close to the Toyota Tacoma. And um, Richard Porter, who I have invited on this, and he may be coming on, and I get to bring it up again. This is, this is Richard Porter, who doesn't know who I am. Oh, okay. How come? Because uh, he was at Radwood as well. He was at Radwood, and he said about uh, how he was getting fuel, um, and this Fiat Panda drove in. Oh, no, actually, sorry, he drove into the, ga- he drove into the petrol station, and there was an immaculate Fiat Panda. Yeah. And he went, oh, I wonder if they're going to Radwood. And then these two people came out dressed in these insane clothes. <laughs> and um, car pervert, what do you call it? Johnny Smith. Johnny Smith. Johnny Smith instantly goes, was it Jim McGill? <laughs> and, you know, Richard Porter's going, like, um, who's the who? And it's just, there was part of me going, like, well, at least know, one of them knows I don't you. know which one was the weirdest that, like, they mentioned me or the fact that, like, Johnny Smith actually thought Richard Porter would know who I was. <laughs> you know, the script editor of, like, Top Gear and Grand Tour would yeah, actually... Yeah. And I'm, like, going, this is weird. Well, he knows who I am. Everybody knows who you are. Well, I'd like to think that, but it's the 1,400 people on Twitter know who I am. <laughs> but, so, he came up and we had a chat at Radwood, which is why I invited him on the podcast. Um, and Luke of Luden Classics yeah. had the green and white XJS from the Curfew yes. TV show. Yeah, I've had to look a few times. It's he's a very nice guy. He is a very um, nice person. Yeah. And so on the live podcast that they've just done, um, Tim Oldland, have you come across him? No. He's a pal of mine and Luke's. We go for coffee quite a lot. But he writes and does bits for like BOTB and things like that. He went to the live recording and I got a text. He went, yo, you got mentioned in the recording. I said, oh, very cool. I'll wait for it to come out. And I listened to it yesterday or the day before. And basically what had happened is after Radwood, Luke's XJS broke down. Um, I think it had a fuel issue. It's been I'll, I'll know on my knuckle and I'll say unsurprisingly. Unsurprisingly, <laughs> it's the second time it broke down that day. <laughs> it broke down on the way in it broke down on the way out. Um, but Richard went, oh, someone has resto-modded an XJS they were saying oh no one's ever done it he's like no there is a guy he's kind of done it but he's done it in this like vintage racer style mm-hmm. it's that Luden Automotive or Luden Classics on Twitter he was at Radwood I didn't get to speak to him I got to chat to his mate you know the Tacoma t-shirt guy <laughs> so I got a reference that was wrong and the, the most fun part about this is Luke did not build that car in any way what yeah. Luke has done is he's made it roadworthy yeah it was a movie car but it was a TV show car Sean Bean drove it this and this so it's actually a car that's probably more famous than Luke if you've seen that TV show which was on Sky and Sean Bean was in it and this and the other but it's brilliant because Luke has about 15 XJS's oh so he's like me he's the XJS then. guy I used to be like that with pandas yeah until like my husband said like seriously you've got too many pandas one yeah. just pick one well, he's got two that he's properly building as almost resto mods. He's making like the best one you could have without it being a completely new car kind of thing. 
which is what he'd love to be known for. And he's, he's got the title of the Resto Mod XJS guy for the completely wrong car, which is the nicest thing that I could have come up with. I couldn't have planned that joke any better, that he gets known for being the Resto Mod car for a car that he didn't build. <laughs> it's yes. brilliant. It's my favourite. Like, so I've now got this like, little in-joke with Richard Porter, which is quite fun, and we've had a couple of in, like, interactions over the internet, and he was on the driven chat the same day that I was because he was doing the I love you man thing mm, yeah. so I have this lovely little moment where I'm stood in caffeine and machine with Richard Porter of you know Top Gear the mm-hmm. Grand Tour and all yeah. that Alex Goy who's mm-hmm. a, another journalist Amy Shaw the photographer and John Markar who's another kind of journalist video guy and we were stood in caffeine and machine and I'm part of the conversation I'm in the group and I kind of stood there and I was like how have I ended up here I just doodle and put them on t-shirts and just tell people oh massive the biggest and I brought this up when I spoke with Alex on the the podcast and he went you know everybody in that circle probably had the exact same thought like Mm. that's the the t-shirt guy like he does the clothing and he's making a difference and that's the guy from Tokyo and all I do is I take photos or I write things everybody in that circle had the imposter syndrome and I, I said that to Richard and he went I don't think I remember that day. I was like, of course, because that's a normal day for you, Richard. You just spend the time around the celebrities all the time. Um, yeah, I think the most famous version of that story is uh, the one of the the, the the moon astronauts was at an event and they, they, they talked about his imposter syndrome because yeah. he was like going, but I'm surrounded, I, like, I literally sat on top of a exploding rocket and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, got out of it and got back into it and got into another exploding rocket and came, came back, back again. whereas all these like incredibly intelligent people got me there and got me back. Yeah. You know, all I had to do was sit there. You know, and, and jump around Bill, and then yeah. go back in again. I can't remember if Buzz Aldrin or one of the, you know, yeah, Armstrong, yeah. but he was saying, like, you know, I, that's all I feel. I just I feel like an imposter at these events. It's, it's insane. And I, I don't want to be tooting my own trumpet or anything like that, but I'm getting used to being a little bit known. Mm. Like, I've now got this weird thing where if I go to a car meet and nobody knows who I am, even though I turned up in the car, mm-hmm. I feel uncomfortable. Because it's in the UK, especially, it's getting around, and I normally at least know one person. And the funny thing is, normally within about twenty minutes, someone has wandered over and go, "Oh, I know who you are." Yeah. And I'm like, oh, "Okay, I'm back at home." And if Luke hears this, he's gonna be like, "Yeah, you're bloody influencer, expecting people to know who you are. You think you're a celebrity and this and the other." Oh, there's a lovely old bluebird just gone past. Oh God, yeah. Lowered on some like BBS style deep dishes. Yeah, and a very fruity exhaust, which hopefully because yeah. the sunroof's slightly open, the mic's picked up slightly. I would like one of those, not because I think it's a good car, but because my grandparents had one. There we go. We're back to the whole thing. Why yeah. I ended up in one of these. And I had eight hours. They live in Cornwall. <laughs> my parents dumped me and my brothers with them for a week so they could go to Turkey. And my grandparents drove us back. I have this like fixed memory of my granddad sitting in the inside lane in traffic when the other two lanes of the motorway were moving for sheer stubbornness that he was, no, we've got to stay in the inside lane. And it added about an hour and a half onto our drive because <laughs> he just wouldn't change it. I'm probably wrong. He was probably like, yeah, all of the lanes are just doing this. Yeah. But from the back seat as a 13-year-old, it looks yeah. like everybody else is moving and you're stationary. Um, we had eight hours in them, and it had blue, it was blue with blue velour interior. Mm. It was like scratchy when you run your fingers on it. And I, I just love one. I'd love to keep it completely classic and standard, and probably drive it twice a year or whatever, just to have that experience again of being in a Nissan Bluebird. 
But yeah, now, the, if I see you a Bluebird, that's a genuinely exciting thing. Yeah. As a kid, I was like, oh, I wish my grandparents had a new car. <laughs> but again, it goes back to that because it was a different time and you yeah. were a different person. And at that point, you'd only experienced 13 summers. Yeah. And this was all new and exciting. And it was a much simpler time. It was. And it's, I, I struggle to talk about my like teenage years because it's a, it's a very juxtaposition situation juxtaposed so on the one hand my dad had a Porsche Turbo when we go to Le Mans and he ran his own estate agents and his financial services and grew up in a barn conversion we had quad bikes and all that sort of stuff and it seems very privileged Yeah, which in a certain aspect it was we went on holiday twice a year and I, we didn't struggle on the flip side it was also alcoholic parent beating yeah. up the other one and kicking off and you would give all of the nice things back just to have a happy family yeah so it's a very interesting position to talk about because depending on which part you talk about, you get a different perspective. Yeah. I either talk about the alcoholic abusive father or I talk about the Porsche Turbo and the trips to Le Mans. And if you only hear one of those things, you have a different opinion of me as a person. But it's a little like social media. Yeah. And the, and the, and the different platforms of social media where, you know, because you would find that with Instagram, that would be where your 9-11 Turbo trips to, yeah. you know... Whereas something like Twitter, because this is the weird. Tumblr I'm, would be the place for the alcoholic parent, but that's <laughs> kind of gone down the shit in it. Yeah, but no, Twitter can be because the thing I always say: if you take any of like Zuckerberg's products, you generally lie to people yeah. you know. Basically, whereas Twitter is you being truthful to strangers. Yeah, which is the famous <laughs> quote. And, um, and and although the, the the downside to that, though, is I've sort of found is like you know as I've got quite a following on Twitter, is that I don't take sort of um, I don't take attention in that sort of way terribly well right and I hate putting something on like going I'm having a bad day because instantly four or five people will jump on and go what's wrong are you okay stuff like that look you know it's fine it'll all be okay we, we think the world of you you're not a bad person you know you might feel like you're a bad person but you're not a bad person you're yeah. loved whatever and I'm just inside dying because of it so yeah. I have, I'm not lying on Twitter as much but I don't tend to put the dying days on as much as what no, I used to I can understand that. I, I'm very much the same like if I'm having a down day I tend to be like right I need to be on my own do something I enjoy probably go for a drive listen to some loud music while I'm mm-hmm. driving something like that and I'll, I'll close off for the day mm-hmm. and normally by the next day it's I'm kind of back at baseline and if I'm not then I'll talk to the my on tap counsellor that I live with <laughs> which is quite fortunate um, I'm her biggest case study I reckon it's all a ruse I'm just a case study for her mm. next thesis you're quite lucky though because Alan as I say I've had this conversation with Alan loads of times Alan's one of these people that sort of basically is just always level yeah he never goes up and he never goes down but he's an accountant he is an accountant yeah he, um, he's fitting the stereotype yeah. quite nicely to and he doesn't really he doesn't really get the mental health thing so but he understands I have up and I have down days yeah but he will like sit there and go, why don't you do this or why don't you do that or why don't you do the other? And you're sort of sitting there. That going, energy no. is making this more difficult right now. <laughs> I just want to pull the covers over my head and for you to go away. Yeah. And um, you know, twenty years later, he has picked up on that and made it like, okay, you just want some peace. Yes. Well, we've got this guy. We didn't come up with this saying, but it's, do you want sympathy or do you want support? I'm stealing that. And it works really well because you can have a bad day and you want someone to help problem solve. You can have a bad day and you go, you just want someone to let you vent. Yeah. You go, this is the shit that's going on at the minute. And I don't want you to fix it. I don't want you to offer any suggestions. I just want you to let me get it out and then go, everything will be all right. Let's have a cup of tea. And that is enough to take the edge off at least. 
So we, uh, if one of us is in a bad mood, it's, do you want sympathy or do you want support? And it normally is enough to help a to figure out what kind of a bad day it is, mm-hmm. and b to figure out what what to do next. If it's I need support, you go right. What's the problem? How do we fix it? Yeah. If it's just sympathy, you go okay. Let's have a cuddle and we'll put a movie on or whatever, and we'll try and forget about the world for the next couple of hours. Um, and if that was a piece of advice I could give anyone within a relationship dealing with anybody that's having a bad time, is different. Get those two. Get that differentiation nailed mm-hmm. because that will inherently determine. I'm How you get through the definitely stealing this. Oh, feel yeah, free. So totally anybody that hears it, take that because it's yeah. something I only came across maybe eighteen months ago, and it's made a massive. Like we don't have that many bad days, mm-hmm. but it's made a huge difference when we do. And it's not normally one of us that's the problem. It's normally an exterior thing. Yeah. But if you don't get that differentiation right, and someone's having a sympathy day, and you start offering solutions. It inherently makes it worse. Mm-hmm. And because just, it makes you feel like a failure because you're not doing any of these things. Yeah, and then you just get backlash and it's like, oh, I was just trying to help. And then you now you're having an argument. Yeah. Whereas if you go get that thing sorted first, then you can you can probably fix it. Or Thankfully, we don't argue. Alan does this thing where he does that Marge Simpson lip. <laughs> and then he kind of goes, do you want a cup of tea? Yes, I want a cup of tea. Yeah. And then he goes off and makes a cup of tea. We don't tend to argue. I tend to go for a drive, come back. I'm calm, have a cup of tea, and we'll talk about that's, what's going That's on. dangerous in our house because the first time I kind of got over because again, it was just after my mum died. Um, I said I was going to go for a drive, and then Alan had to fly to Malaga to bring, to bring me back. You go for a longer drive than me. Yeah. I can't yeah. afford the fuel for Malaga. Yeah, because <laughs> the worst thing, it was like, it was an ancient Mercedes W123 estate that I just bought for like <laughs> well, 800 pounds. I just drive it 1500 miles to Malaga. Yeah, on the way back. And th- that was another one because like Alan flew out to bring me back, but he kind of thought like he would turn up. And this is like, you know, in the very early days, this is pre Fiat. This yeah. is 90s, isn't it? Uh, probably about 2001. Right. Because oh, I hadn't actually died, just said. bought the panda the, the, the four wheel drive panda at that yeah. point and I kind of like went to a friend in England and I kind of was really agitated and I just couldn't settle and I kind of went like I'm going to go for a drive got to Dover got the passport out got to France so I know I'll drive through France how often do you go for a drive with your passport <laughs> you do need ID to get on a ferry exactly so like how often are you like, I am on an island a... off the coast remember yeah but you're in Ireland which has inherently some nice things to drive around <laughs> you don't necessarily need your passport every time I'm just going to go for a drive. Where's my passport? <laughs> just in case. <laughs> yeah, maybe I do have issues there. Um, yeah, maybe but... uh, maybe Alan needs to have a locked box for the passport. Stop giving him ideas. So really? that he can go, honey, stop you know, listening now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, I think my mic's going. I think we'll have to end there. No, it's the same. He flew out and he thought he was going to like, turn me around and like you know, yeah. go home, but he actually had to drive back with me. I think that's kind of where we started the whole road trip thing. Yeah. Um, because the next one we had a Saab 900 that I bought for like 500 quid and we wanted to go to Italy that summer and we got halfway across Germany and it was absolutely boiling and we're people from Northern Ireland you know we melt <laughs> at 21 degrees yeah. and we got halfway across there and then I suddenly decided let's go somewhere cooler I've never been to the Saab factory let's drive the car to the Saab factory we Perfect. had packed for a beach holiday yeah and we ended up in Sweden um, and, and, and what time of year was it? Uh, June. So it well, wasn't. It wasn't a, wasn't a warm June. It wasn't sort of like Italy warm. June. Yeah, it was mild. But it wasn't December. No, it was Irish weather. You know, cold. You were happy then. Chilled, chilled and wet. No, I was going to Italy because I wanted fucking warm weather. Right, <laughs> and you decided to change all that. It was, but I wanted warm weather, but not that warm. So you kind of needed to go halfway between Italy and Sweden yeah. to reach the sweet spot, which yeah. would probably be like the UK. Probably. 
So we started that, and then... Oh, yes, yeah, so yeah, so anyway, mum died, bought a Fit Panda four-wheel drive off a guy in Nottingham. It was £450, ran it for about three or four years, needed a wiper motor. Fiat still sold parts for the Fiat Panda at that point. Right. And it was £180 for the wiper motor. This car was advertised for 150 with and a we, wiper motor with everything it was at 34,000 miles on it the little old lady that owned it used to take a blanket and put it over the engine at night which I thought was really mad but apparently damp you know Irish weather it is a thing apparently right, you okay. know stops the damp getting on the it does have a bonnet scoop uh, that actually goes into the heater oh okay yeah so that's actually sealed off from the rest of it but uh, yeah so uh, we, we bought it and she was pretty much Mrs. Doubtfire and she's like, you know, you will look after it, dear. I've had it all my days. <laughs> and I'm really like, oh, no, I'm going to cut it up into bits and, you know, keep my four-wheel drive on on the road. And it just drove so sweet. And I kind of just couldn't cut it up or do anything with it. So I decided we'd do a charity fundraiser with it. And uh, we went to Morocco. Amazing. And um, we'll try and do the edited version of this because it's like, it's a big story. It's a big trip. And I'd never done anything like this before. Like, we'd done these little drives to Malaga and stuff like that. But, yeah. I mean, you know... It Malaga's really, not exactly a little drive. I had a GPS. Right. You know, and it literally was, like, turn left in 275 yards, repeat that, add in a venom, and then you end up in Malaga. I've, I've driven to, to Malaga <laughs> in the Porsche with my dad. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Um, just a tangent slightly to connect this back to the earlier story. So, obviously, the difficulties I've had with my dad... Um, this was for his wedding to my stepmom. Mm-hmm. So I was like 24 or something like that. It was not that long ago. And he was like, well, we'll drive down because then the honeymoon for him and my stepmom can be a bit of a Euro trip. Yeah. We'll take the Porsche. Great, fantastic, sounds good. We were on some reasonable ground at this point. But what it meant was we had four days where I got my dad back because he wasn't drinking. So mm. we had to drive the next day. Yeah. So I had a four-day window where I got to build some relations. Me, me and my dad on the road, like when I was a teenager and we did Le Mans, in the car that I'd always dreamed of being able to drive because it was his car when I was at school mm-hmm. and this and the other. So for that four-day period, I had him back. Yeah. And then after that, we got to the apartments we were staying at and he'd, borrow, he'd borrowed his friend's apartment and his friend happened to be a footballer for Celtic. Reasonably well-known guy. I'm not going to name-drop him here. Um... And that meant that he could get back on the wagon again. Yeah. And within four days, he tried to go for me. I broke his nose the day after his wedding <laughs> and had to fly back the next day. <laughs> so uh, cars are great for creating these memories. Yeah. Um, but yeah. No, because I, I have questions. Because one of the, one of the things, because yeah, we're, we're really not doing the car thing very well. We're not. But we're not. But we're doing the chatting thing. We're doing the chatting thing. Because yeah. this is one of the things that like would probably be quite unusual within your circle of friends that you have such a distant relationship with your father or now non-existent whereas yes. it's so common within my circle of friends because parents basically tell them that they, they disown are, you they disown you or they you're, you know especially if they're very religious and they can bring in like you know supernatural elements of why you're gay and stuff like that and it's very hurtful and it's much easier to build your own family yeah. So than I, it is to force yourself with people that don't work I seem to have this thing where I kind of bounce around looking for father figures hmm. so it's weird because I don't inherently want a dad I'm not after someone that fills that gap it's more I'm looking for someone to look up to uh-huh. and to kind of go right if, if, I can, if I can relay how I'm doing to this person and gain their approval almost or just to get a oh that's a good you're doing in yeah. the right direction 
I think it's a good idea. I seem to kind of be on this endless search to fill that gap, which I think is is probably a diff- different thing because the approval is for a different reason. It's just a I didn't have the the person that I should have been able to confide in to confide in for approval and things versus I don't have that contact with my dad because I chose to step away not the I don't have that contact yeah. with my dad because my dad doesn't like who I am as a person but there are people again within my community who have to make that my community I make it sound like you know it's like it's funny because there's a but it's because they have to make that, that conscious decision because this person is so negative yeah. and makes them feel like such shit that they have to cut ties yeah and I think again this is a slightly generational thing because I have few friends who are within the gay community who have great relationships with their dad yeah yeah because so their dad's my age <laughs> yeah and they've they've grown up in a society where it's more accepted mm-hmm. and not in protestant ireland in the yeah. uh, the 80s yeah. well yeah. even it's like little things like you know we were joking earlier on about like you know like meeting up in a car park and you know because i was going to text you earlier going like oh really it's been a while since i met a man in the car park yeah yeah, yeah but the thing is though that's my generation don't do that so well whereas your generation that's cool that's like it's a joke or even yeah, if you yeah. sort of like you know because there's a couple of guys you, you could actually turn around and say god you're really hot and they actually go really you think so you know and it's the, the, whereas that sort of like 50 and above it's like that's the quickest way to get in a punch yeah yeah and my so my generation and the generation that is coming through now are a lot more open to the darker side of humour because Probably because the world is a load of shit, so we might as well yeah. have a laugh. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of dark humour that gets brought through a lot of stuff. And the flip side of it is, the my generation and my younger brother's age, so they're 20, what, 24 and 21, about that age, they're a lot more open to, say, therapy. Yes. And there is, there's this meme on this joke it's like oh your grandma is like oh you can't say the t word and your mum's like they'll whisper oh maybe you should go see a therapist Mm. and now it's like oh guess what my therapist told me the other day like there's this real like change in the culture it's okay now a lot more than it has been to have regular engagement with a professional for mental health and I think what I'm doing is kind of well timed in that change as well like if I was doing this 10 years ago it would be a much bigger battle in terms of making it more commonplace but it comes with a similar thing like the generation before being gay was effectively like and you're an outcast it was the whole like Diana hugging someone with AIDS was a huge thing because she was like this isn't a transferable thing it's not COVID it's a different thing You, you can't treat people differently because they've got this disease it's not like leprosy and now it's like right just love who you love and yeah I mean my sister when I was 18 I came out to her and she basically said you will end up a drug addict with AIDS in a bed set yeah because she was a paramedic and they were the only gay people she ever met right yeah and that was her entire like view of the gay, gay community because obviously you know this is what like late 1980s so there is not a gay scene in Belfast yeah, you, know? Yeah. you know it's not like it's not carnival like it. it's not like <laughs> pride and everyone's out there going like oh look at me let's dance down the street in the tutu um, you know it was a much darker side than yeah. she was seeing and she literally that's when I told her that was her first reaction you wow. know thankfully she has changed that opinion somewhat well yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's hopefully a bit more positive now <laughs> you're not in a bed sit for a start yeah although it, it was funny um, Alan 
when um, Alan and I, like, you know, I think what was it? Oh, God, it was about 10 years. Yeah, it was about 10 years ago. We kind of, like, had our midlife crisis. And uh, we thought, you know what? We'll rent our house out and we'll rent an apartment in the center of Belfast. And, like, you know, it's just on the edge of the gay community. And yeah. we'll live the queerest life or the queerest folk life for a while and stuff <laughs> like that. So I did actually message her going, well, I'm kind of like, does the penthouse count? <laughs> yeah. It's only one floor. <laughs> it's on the top floor. <laughs> pretty funny yeah how did you take that joke oh she's the thing is though um joan say my sister like she uh who i will never ever ever tell her that we made this podcast because um she she has a, a very uh weird outlook on life and i do like to bring it up because she's, <laughs> she's been a paramedic in belfast for 37 years so yeah yeah she, the the big thing is what happened was in the 70s it was perfectly fine for because she's like 10 years older than me so she would have i was like two and so that would have put her at like about 11 and that was perfectly fine to leave an 11-year-old with a child, a child yeah. under two. And um, I, I have these scars here <laughs> and here uh, because she's, uh, she went go-karting with my pram, with, right. me, with me in it. And uh, it, it didn't end well. No, I, uh, I made a very, uh, a, a very close contact with an Austin Maxi. Oh. Uh, which was because she just basically it was just a hill and she jumped off and the, the pram went on out and unfortunately it was the battleship Potemkin or something the camp pram goes down the stairs you know that like oh yeah, movie. yeah yeah can't remember what it's called but yeah so the it's pram like just, Grand Central Station or something and it yeah, just bounces yeah. down the stairs and it ends up the, as I say the real version of this with me ends, ends up like going out into the road and hitting this maxi hit yeah, so I have all these scars from it. So she absolutely hates me bringing that up. So, <laughs> needless to say, I will never tell her that like I did a podcast and we talked about how she tried to kill me she as a child. To be fair, me and my brothers have nearly killed each other or caused some potentially serious injuries several times, which is kind of part of growing up in the middle of nowhere with a bit of space. Mm. So I, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've got half a front tooth. No, I haven't. Um, because my brother shot me with a BB gun. <laughs> <laughs> it took the tooth out. Um, I I'd mentioned when we were having some food earlier that we had this little Ford Fiesta um, that my dad bought for 350 quid and it was in a very small crash so then it became a field car and we took the, the little handles that you would, if you're a passenger, you would hold on to that are near the door frame and we bolted them onto the outside of the roof so that someone could hold on to the top of it as the other person was driving it. You never actually mentioned though, did that... And did that go horribly wrong no, at any nobody point? nobody got in any way hurt. One oh, of us okay. flew off and landed on a hay bale. Oh, and just bounced. Yeah. We, okay. we had quad bikes, which I think I was the only one to not flip. Although I was on the back teaching my youngest brother how to ride it, and he flipped us both off. Um, and I don't mean he swore at me. I mean, he turned very sharply, and we tumbled yeah. down a hill on a quad bike. Um, I managed to reverse a Mitsubishi Warrior into a... Concrete trough uh -huh. in an empty field. It was the only thing in the field, and I managed to hit it um, very slowly, but it did dent it. And my dad Ouch. found out six weeks later when we went shopping. He's like, Where's this dent come from? <laughs> oh, I don't know, Dad. He's like, No, it's definitely you because I'm the only other person to drive it, and I'd have remembered that. Um, what else did we do that nearly killed us? Oh, we got a climbing harness and some climbing rope. It's not going to end in someone only getting lynched, although that also nearly happened. Um, threw it over the branch of a tree and created this big swing. Mm -hmm. The tree was next to the road, and we were doing it at like 8 o'clock at night. We were swinging out into the road because it was the only bit of clear space. 
and I remember swinging out and a lorry coming down and I was in the middle of the road as the lorry got near me and then I swung away as the lorry went past and then I swung back out into the road behind the lorry um, so I very nearly hit a lorry I got like in a wily e. coyote type literally way. like I swung out lorry swung back in lorry went past swung back out again like because I still had the momentum so I I pendulumed around a lorry um, yeah we had a like a climbing frame that my dad had built on the back of a uh, shed garage building and it had a slide and a rope swing and my brothers were playing on it and one of them went down the slide as the other one swang and the end of the rope like whipped mm-hmm. went round the other one's neck as he went down the slide mm-hmm. so he basically like hung himself <clears throat> and we all went oh that's not good and ran over and lifted him up and sorted it out very quickly but if it had been a longer slide it might have had enough speed to cause a bit more of a problem <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh, oh there's quite a few of, stories of me and my brother's the really killing of yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I was going to say, if you had been slightly older, the tooth thing, um, it's sort of like people who are 50 and above who have damaged their teeth, usually it's because of a rally chopper. Oh, from flying off the... Or if you try to do a wheelie because yeah. they were so badly balanced that they would, they would never, you could never sit like this. They either went down or they came up at a great speed. And hit you in the face. And the, the bolt thing just literally goes there. Because wasn't the gear changer on Yeah, it was down there. The yeah, that, that's well. why lots of people my age are impotent. Yeah, because yeah. of the, the yeah, castration. Yeah, castrated by a rally chopper. The thing, this, this was the 70s. Welcome to, like, you know, everything was life and death. Yeah. You know, concrete in the playground. You know, you're on the swings of the climbing frame. Concrete underneath. Yeah. yeah. We at least had that slightly spongy, rubbery, meshy stuff. Yeah. But we still had the big climbing frames and those big spider web net things <laughs> that you could very quickly fall from the top, catch an ankle in between two ropes and go flying, snapping bones and things like that. I think nowadays it's a lot more safe. But yes. I grew up in the 90s, so we weren't quite. Yeah, health and safety, safety just wasn't quite a big it thing. It was a word, it just yeah. wasn't quite a a thing that people knew about and as you say you lived in a sort of a rural space where like you know you had access to things as children you shouldn't really have like motorised devices and guns and guns <laughs> yeah. yes we yeah. did some clay pigeon shooting once fortunately nobody nearly got hurt we did have so we were three miles or a mile and a half as the crow flies from Derbyshire Constabulary mm-hmm. which have a, an, a helicopter and we did some clay pigeon shooting off the back of the fields with some people that had shotguns and licenses and this and the other. And within 10 minutes, there was the helicopter hovering above us and the police car on its way. And the guy was stood there and he went, if I lift this, I'm going to get arrested. So I think we all just stay still for the time being. Thank you very much. Um, but to paint a picture of where I grew up, we had the barn conversion that my dad bought when I was 14. So I, I, when I was a kid, we grew, I started in a terrace house. My dad's done, he's a self-made done well for himself so terrace house that my parents bought when they were 19 for 14 grand because mm-hmm. that was the 90s same as I paid for mine yeah oh Mark IV Supra ah um, we're almost just car spotting at this point um, yeah yeah you should do one of these sometimes at a car show I would love to do a live one like um, Smith and Sniff have just done yeah I think that would be good fun I might have to have a conversation with them about teaming up if I can um but yeah, so Terrace House, they bought it very cheap. It had like no roof. Mm-hmm. My dad and my my granddad was a builder. My dad worked for my granddad, so they turned it into a livable space. And then that appreciated. My dad got a proper job as a he worked for. Have you heard of Deb Soaps? No. They do a lot of stuff like if, if you know services, 
you have the pump soaps. Oh, it okay, used to yeah. be them. So he got a chemistry degree, following his footsteps and just doing stuff. So he was a builder. <laughs> he went to uni, got a chemistry degree, went and made soap, um, got a bigger house, then went and studied financial services, became a financial advisor, mm-hmm. got a, did quite well, bought a nice car, got a, then moved to the barn conversions. Um, but we were in a farm with 100 acres around us, and we had four of them. At the bottom of the hill where our field was was a train line, but it was for a steam train museum. Ah, oh, right, okay. So there's just steam trains going up and down. So you were the railway kids? We were, were the railway the tra- kids, yeah. We were yeah. the trains as I have passed. raced a rail, a steam train and a hot air balloon at the same time on a quad oh, bike. okay. I raced the Orient Express in this. Oh, that's so cool. That's a much better story. Tell that story. Oh, that one? Okay, all right. <laughs> Let me just double check how long we've been going, because this might have to be a two-part with all the stories we've got. <laughs> now we're, we're under an hour and a half. We can keep going. Oh, right, okay. Um... So, yeah, so I, I got this kind of thing and we took it to Morocco and it, it sort of broke down every day and, like, we wrote up this story and we kind of got into the whole thing. Because Alan, I probably painted Alan as this picture of this very boring person. You've made him sound very beige. He's very beige. Uh, I think he had this reputational work. Right. And uh, I think once he started, like, you know, going into work after his holidays and it's like, so what did, what did you do? Oh, we went to Morocco and I got kidnapped by the Turag. <laughs> and then we got chased by drug dealers. You know, so we obviously, you know, everyone would like, so every time Alan. It's got this secret cool. Yeah, so every time Alan would go off on holiday with me, then he would sort of like, come back. So what did, what did you do this time? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we were, uh, I think it was an air ambulance, because um, it was done with two other guys from Cumbria. So I think it was a Cumbrian air ambulance. So we decided to do a fundraiser. And we had three Fiat Pandas. And we wrote Dorient Express. Again, this is a car magazine thing, because when the Phantom was launched, they raced the Orient Express. The BMW owned? Yes. Right. And I wrote, we wrote to them and said, look, you know, you did this thing with BMW. Could we recreate it for charity with three Fiat Pandas? Yeah. And they said, yeah, no problem. Um, it's great. Yeah, come along. Very um, cool. We went to, uh, we drove to Paris. Uh, cars lined up outside the thing. Uh, I bought a copy of Murder of the Orient Express with my got all the staff to sign it, passengers sign it, good luck messages, that oh, sort right. of thing. And uh, we basically trundled across Europe trying to, like, you know, race the Orient Express, which sounds very dramatic, but these people have paid 15 grand <laughs> to be on this thing, and they only spent one night actually travelling on it. Every other night, it stops, and they go to a five-star hotel. Oh, right, okay. So we caught up with them in Budapest, and they, it goes to a train museum, and they, they were very, very good. So the, um, the, the, the Orient Express people said, look, there are the crew because this is a big um, you know trip we only have two passengers per carriage yeah and we have a huge crew section so if you want you can come and spend the night in the crew section yeah. of the Orient Express but you still get to stay on the Orient Express we stayed on the Orient Express well, and, and it's, it's the same you know it's the same wood panelling and the inlay and the gold but just they're tiny little rooms with bunk beds yeah but it's the same quality of materials so that About was kind of fun size of this fit panel yeah, pretty much. If you imagine like a bunk bed here and another one above it. Yeah. And um, and the staff were all really fun, and we all had a lot of a couple of drinks that night, and it was a really fun evening. And then uh, we kind of lost them slightly. I think about Romania, 
And then we went into Bulgaria to try and catch up with them, and we took a wrong turn. And then these guys in a... Because the thing is, again, because the, the, the guys I was doing this with had never done this sort of thing before. Yeah. So, like, one of them is, like, you know, with his lap... Like, it's, it's dark like this. Yeah. We're driving on these rural Bulgarian roads, and he's got his laptop out, and these cars are covered in stickers. And You're a target. suddenly this BMW 5 Series just wheels up, and they're trying to run us off the road. And there was two girls driving one of the other pandas. And the two guys, one of them was a police officer who was driving the third, the, the, the panda behind. And he's ringing them and saying, look, they're targeting you. So the BMW is getting closer and closer in to try and push them off the road. And, you know, they raced up past me and they're trying to push the BMW back off the road again. And he rang them and said, look, they're targeting you because you're the two girls. They've seen the laptops. They're going to try and like, stop us. They'll get the passports, credit cards, laptops. That's what they're looking for. Yeah. And so this nonsense carries on for a couple of miles of like us and these little pandas fighting a BMW. Yeah, and I'm, I'm on the phone to Alan going like, you're never going to believe this, but like seriously, because he didn't go on this one because he's going like, I've looked at the route and um, I think you'll probably die. <laughs> so I'm going, you were right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we came around this corner and there's this police roadblock and these little pandas all just kind of like fly off everywhere and this BMW does this J-turn thing and takes off in the opposite direction and you have these two Bulgarian police just looking at us going what the fuck what so we were told to wait and then it was obviously it's Eastern Europe so there was lots of paperwork and stuff and then they sent a car out and they gave us a police escort then for the rest of the time that we were travelling overnight because we were going to Sofia or somewhere I have no idea. Your geography is better than mine. No, it's not, because this is a whole big problem, because this all merges into each other. Yeah, but you've been on these trips. I don't even know where they are on the map. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, no, that that was kind of quite weird. And then we ended up in uh, in Istanbul, and we beat the train by, like, 17 hours. Really? Yeah. Um, (laughs) So we got there, and we turned up the next morning. It's because you were racing a BMW 5 (laughs) series. Well, we all, we line the cars up on the platform at Tricky Station, and the train rolls in, and there's lots of pictures, and there's a band, and Welcome to Istanbul, and all this sort of stuff, and the passengers are like, oh, you made it, this is great, and it was all very good fun. And then I got talking to the guys from the train station, and they went, oh, I remember, yeah, you did this because of, like, um, Car Magazine with the Phantom. And he was going, oh, God, they were such a pain in the arse. <laughs> that thing was like, it was like, I don't think it was quite the car magazine, I think, because obviously there were people there from BMW, BMW PR. Yeah. And because this was one of the very first, you know, it's a pre-production car, but obviously it's going to be used in every single, you know, yeah. um, promotional thing. This thing was like babied and there wasn't really the space to get on the platform. And there was a whole, and, you know, they were literally going like, no, 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 really, you people are fine. You know, we're never going to do another new car launch here, especially one the size of a house. Yeah. It's such a huge car. Like, you don't realise until you see one in close I, I rented one for my 40th birthday. <laughs> Um, briefly with a chauffeur with I'm going to say you rented someone to drive you yeah I rented right? someone like, to drive you you, yeah. you don't drive that car no, if you, you rent one to drive. drive you've done it wrong yeah no I, I, I we, we all went for a curry and I thought it would be really fun to go to like you know uh, a bar afterwards with uh, Alan and we sort of like you know what we did we'll rent a Rolls Royce to take us like the 10 miles in and it was really fun well, it was really quite funny turning up outside like you know it was a gay bar in Belfast and like Rolls Royce rolls up and the door starts to open and I get out and you can oh my god it's Justin Bieber oh no it's not so oh, no, it's, it's some old guy <laughs> yeah he probably owns something or other yeah um, I have a similarly like hilarious for its obscenity and how it not opulence but the wrong vibe for the people car um, we went on holiday I can't remember where as a family my dad's friend was coming to pick us up from the airport 
And what he didn't tell us is he just bought a limo for four grand. It was a 1980s Lincoln limo, oh like this huge thing, but it was old, yeah. and the the boot didn't open. Which is probably you know, full of dead bodies. Yeah, exactly. It's welded shot, and there's probably no reason to ever open it ever again. <laughs> so we get to like arrivals, and we're stood outside, and we don't know that, that he's bought this. He had, he had an insurance company, and the only other car I remember him having was a smart car and a C-Class Merc. Mm-hmm. So we're obviously expecting the C-Class Merc. And we're still like, I don't know how, there's five of us, don't know how we're going to get in here, but he's reassured us that he's got the right car for the job. And this limo pulls into the car park. And my mum is not a, like an outspoken person. She's very, she's not quiet, but she's not like a loud or anything like yeah. that. But uncharacteristically loud, he goes, who's bought a limo to pick them up from the airport? And obviously this thing pulls around and my dad's best mate jumps out. He's like, hey guys, I've got a new car. And obviously everybody's heard us shout that out. And then everybody's then turned to see who's getting into this limo. And my mum was like, oh, I guess it's us. And we had this a limo ride back from the airport, which was the funnest thing. Like, because... A lot of my dad's friends are car people. Like, we'd do Le Mans back before, like, the Gumball Rally was the Gumball Rally. We were doing it with nine cars that had dads and lads written on the side and stuff like that. Annoyingly, I've inherited a lot of my traits from my dad in that I want to do road trips and events, things with cars. Um, And we'd be in, like, F430s, 360s, Gallardos, DB9s. We had the 996 Turbo, that kind of car. So we were doing that thing before it was really a thing. So they were all his car mates. So they inherently were guys with a bit of money that could play jokes on each other and have yeah. a laugh. So this sort of stuff was just like, oh, I thought it'd be fun. And it was, it was hilarious. But it really, really embarrassed my mum, which was even more fun than the limo. Because <laughs> if she'd not said anything, it'd have been quite a funny thing. But the fact that she was like, who's had a limo come and pick them up from the airport? And it turned out to be her. Just it was like same with Luke and the XJS. It's mm-hmm. like he's now known as the rest of them on XJS, and it's not a car he's touched, <laughs> other than to fix it when he ripped a wheel off in a field. Yeah, Alan and your mum would probably have a lot in common because um, a couple of days ago we took the I have a Citroen Army at the minute, the oh, the electric one. Yeah, um, it's it's it belongs to the, the museum. Um, I picked it up in um, Amsterdam and drove it back to the UK. Although we got as far as to taken forever. No, well, um, we put a thing out on because again, this is the whole Twitter thing. I uh, put it because we worked out, so we picked it up in Amsterdam. Had to get to the Hook of Holland. Um, the car would not make it on one charge. So uh, we put a thing out on Twitter. Does anybody live in this town that will charge it up? And Drew from TomTom. Okay. He's like one of the TomTom designer type guys. An American guy lives in... um, This is actually the second time I've had to get him to do this. (laughs) Because I had to go out and get a Honda N1. Well, you didn't just message him then? No, I didn't know where where he lived was the thing. Because I had to go out and get a Honda N1 um, two years ago. uh, Which is basically... It's you know, the, you know the the before the Civic Honda came here with a tiny little thing that looked like a Mini, yeah, and a 600 cc engine, and they actually have an automatic gearbox version or a semi-automatic gearbox oh, version. So because of the whole retro thing, Honda has done a modern version of that, but it's right. a K, it's a K car, yeah, and a 600 cc turbo, with all that sort of stuff. Um, absolutely tripping with kit, except for the sat nav. All the sat nav could tell me was I was somewhere in the South China Sea. Because obviously these cars are not sold outside Japan. No, so they don't. So it basically, I was I was like, you know, here be monsters. Yeah, that yeah. bit. They're like, we're well, not in Japan anymore. Yeah, that's it. So, anyways, that was the first time I met Drake because he wanted to like come and try it out and stuff like that. And then the second time, I went, oh, I live in that town. 
So we picked the army up and we'd asked the, the warehouse guys to charge it up, but it kind of like plugged it in for like half an hour or something. So we drove it like, you know, down to this town that's just like, you know, 10 miles outside Amsterdam. Right. Turned up, like Drew's running, he lives in like a little terrace street, <laughs> coming out the door with like an exactly. extension cable, <laughs> plugging it in. And I was like, you know, oh, it's okay, we'll, we'll go for coffee and come back in like three hours when it charges up because it's not a fast charging <laughs> thing. And so we went down, we got some coffee and we came back up about three hours later and here's Drew kind of in the street with like this sort of like doing a laptop thing because obviously it's Tom's. Because their big thing now is Satnav is useless with an electric car if there's a hill. Right. So if you're Satnav said, because the built-in GPS system, yeah. which is linked to the car, which is an EV, yeah. and you're, you've got 15 miles of range. If it's all uphill, it's less than Yes, miles. that's it, exactly. And the, the nearest charger is 12 miles away. It will say you can make it. But yeah. if it doesn't know it's all hilly, then it's not. So this was... So the, they're now this, doing 3D setup. Yeah, this is where they're going with Which this. Which is handy. Maybe they could get a feature where it knows where there are speed bumps. And then people like me in my lowered sports car can tick a box that says avoid the speed bumps because it will add 15 minutes onto any drive. I'm going to say, I think that's a very niche request. It is, but I hate speed bumps. So if you could ask him to talk to someone Add, add that on to that yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you get a topographical map of every road in the country, that'd yeah. really do me a favour. <laughs> this one's really potholey. This one's called in speed bumps. This one's smooth, right? I'll, I'll add five minutes onto my drive because I'll actually save ten. I actually, I actually took a, a Dacia uh, jogger right for a test drive today, and that was one of the things I have to say that I really liked about it was for a modern car with big wheels and low-profile tires, it actually did speed bumps very well. Oh, that's reassuring. Like considering I've had a Citroen C6 for the museum, yeah, um, which is pinnacle speed bump car, really, yeah. other than like a Zantia. Well, the well, 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 yeah, I use Sean's Zantia from time to time. I love Zantias. Which, I have a my best friend. And I both had Citroens at one point. I had a C2 that was to. I bought this C2 so that I could take my. I had an old Mini as my first car. Mm -hmm. It was just getting more and more broken, and I was 18 with no money, so it was just impossible to make it nice. I could keep it going, but I couldn't fix bigger things. Mm -hmm. So I bought this C2 on finance. I think it was a three grand car. I was paying 180 quid a month for it on finance because <laughs> I had no idea what finance was. I have a feeling I missed a direct debit payment uh, right near the end, and I thought that meant I'd finished paying it. I think I missed it, and they didn't then take any money from oh, okay, me, right. and I assumed I'd finished paying it, and then like eight years later, I got like a letter saying, oh, you owe us £300? I was like, who are you? <laughs> um, so I bought this C2, and my best friend lived next door to my mum after my parents split up. She moved to this house, and he happened to live next door, and his younger brother, she taught at school because she was a teaching assistant uh, by the by he then got a C4 Loeb edition uh -huh. I was like oh great you have to one up me don't you and funny enough after this I had an Audi A6 estate and he got an Audi A4 estate but it was the Quattro and I was like I've done it again haven't you um, but there was a there's a small Citroen specialist based near where my dad's house is and it's just it's a convenient place if you've got a Citroen you might as well go to this he's, He'll charge you normal garage rates. So you yeah. might as well give it to a guy that's used to Citroens. All of his courtesy cars are Zantias. Mm -hmm. So anytime one of us would take it for a service or an MOT, we'd have a Zantia for the day. Yeah. And we just spent about two years constantly trying to need a courtesy car so we could go and play in a Zantia for a day. And I, the funniest memory I have with these Zantias is obviously they've got that oil filled suspension and there's a big lever in the middle to set the height. Mm -hmm. We pulled into a petrol station the first time we'd been given one. 
and it was my friend who was driving. I didn't get it, he got it. And we pointed this petrol station, it's a big lever. It's got like low, medium, high, or whatever it is. And I, I, obviously I'd, I'd not known that it was a pressurized system. So when the engine's off, nothing's pumping the oil around. Yeah. So I just pushed the lever to low, so it just dropped. Like, he's putting petrol in, all of a sudden the petrol, the, the cap just disappears. Like, <laughs> the car's on the floor. So we have a laugh about it, put the petrol up. He gets back in the car and he's like, oh, we need to go, so pull it back up. We pull it up to high, and obviously nothing happens because the car's not running, so nothing's pressurised. <laughs> and for a good five minutes, we're like, oh, we've broke it, and now we're stuck because we're on the floor. You can't go anywhere. But once we started, we figured out that you can... It will then eventually it will lift back up again. But we had a lot of panicking in the Sainsbury's Tesco station. Two young guys that had never yeah, seen never this seen before. Them, going, oh my God, it's broke, we're stuck. Oh, what do we do, what do we do? We can't even get a flatbed, we're on the floor. <laughs> yeah, no, I borrowed, she met me at Sean's, so I borrowed his for the weekend there. And his is an early one, so it sinks when it's parked. Oh, right. It's actually one of the earliest ones in the UK. It's like 93 or whatever. And that's just the coolest thing, because obviously you can't, you can't get in, just turn the key and drive off. You have to get in, turn the key, and wait until it rises up, like <laughs> yeah. you know, the older cars. Like a 2004 Range Rover that's been sat on a drive for a couple of weeks, and all the air's just gone out of one side. <laughs> yeah, it's like going down at the helm. Yeah. No. My dad had a Range Rover Sport, off that footballer friend of him, actually. And our neighbours not sort of like stereotypical or anything. Oh, I know, yeah. Um, and our neighbours, who were jewellers, <laughs> had two. Which is not Anna Bentley, and we all went on holiday at the same time. We came back and there were just three Range Rovers in a line, all tilting to the left (laughs) because all the air had gone out of the one side on all of them. I have a friend of mine, Martin, who used to work for a mainstream or main Land Rover dealer. He's now went into like the specialised side of stuff, so he works for an independent. Yeah, and like told me after he left that Land Rovers are literally designed to bankrupt middle class people. (laughs) That's their only purpose. (laughs) Once they turn three. Yeah, they yeah. have no other purpose. You know, it's not a car. It's not a status symbol. It's literally to bankrupt people. How much money can we cost you? Yeah, the, if the electrics go, it bricks the whole car. Mm-hmm. You have to write it off. Yeah, the air compressors all fail. Everything just starts to deteriorate. After. But this is what terrifies me about it. my most modern car is the second generation Fiat Panda from two thousand and five. <laughs> are you safe? Um, and this is what terrifies me because these cars are wearing out. So I have, I've got the Citroen Ami. Uh, which that's more modern, but it's not it is more us. modern. But it's 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 one step above a Sinclair C5. It's a Sinclair C5 without the pedals. It's a mobility scooter. Yeah, basically. yeah, that's it. With with doors. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can get those. You okay, can get yeah. mobility scooters with little like plastic, uh, like hard okay. plastic bubbles. I know I'm old, but I'm not that old yet. No, no, but you're <laughs> you're almost getting into that with your Ami. <laughs> the only thing is, you can't. I mean, because I really want to take it around the shops. Though. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was going to say. Because. Uh, uh, what was it? James Walsh um, and him and I were chatting one time from Practical Classics. Right. He's their, he's their ass editor. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I think it's assistant uh, editor for anyone who doesn't get yeah, the joke. There you go. <laughs> um, but uh, the one is it? It's Briar Mix. Practical Classics. Oh, I don't it? know. Yeah. Um, so when um, when Citroen gave him an army uh, for the day, they actually drove it through the office. They thought it was really cool because it would fit through the double doors at the front of their headquarters. You kind of have to if you have the opportunity, though. The only thing I've done with it so far is I've put it in a Tesco's trolley park. The thing is, I I think this would fit in a Tesco's trolley park, though. It does, yeah. It does. I don't need to find a smaller gap. Yeah. Well, the only thing is that when we were driving the the Ami back from Amsterdam, it only does 28 miles an hour, so we were not going to take it out on the main, like, you know, we couldn't drive it on the motorways. Um, so I came up with this idea of like, you know, we're we're foreigners, we're abroad. Just 
drive it on the psychopaths. Because <laughs> what are they going to do? Arrest us? Oh, we didn't know. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're just stupid foreigners. I didn't understand that that big sign that said no vehicles other than bicycles meant that I couldn't bring my car down here. <laughs> um, so we, we actually, and there's there's a video on YouTube. Um, it's on the, the Morsels and Motors channel of me like driving. And the thing was that we got to this very end of the cycle path and there are these two bollards. Right, to stop cars. Stop cars. Yeah. And we looked at this and I went, it's this, it's this on either side. And we actually squeeze this thing oh. through with like this, like, sorry. For inch. those of you who are not, it's an inch, an inch on yeah. either side. And uh, that was the point I realized we need to do more of this. But the problem is it's only got a 45 mile range. Yeah. So I took it from Cambridge to Newmarket on Sunday with Alan, because we were like, we called into like a national trust place. And then we went to like Newmarket for like a pub lunch. And well, that's that what was... people of your age do, so that's fine. Yeah. My national... mum does it a lot. Yeah. She's got a national trust pass. Yeah. Have you got a badge on the car? Not on this one. This one's got the gay classic car group. Oh, okay. Um, this is on this car. But, uh, yeah, so when we got to Newmarket, um, Alan started seeing me playing with my phone, and, you know, it wasn't grinder or something for once. It was actually, like, you know, calculator. He's going, what are you doing? I went, I'm trying to work out if we can get it back without charging it. And he kind of gave me this look of, like, why did we not talk about this before we left Cambridge in it? And did you I, have the cable with you? Well, this is the problem. It, it's actually attached to the car. Oh, okay. But it has a three-pin house socket. So I can't plug it in at Tesco's yeah. or wherever, yeah. unless I actually drive it in and unplug a fridge. Right. <laughs> I could plug it into that. But um, so my backup plan was like doing the whole, hi, you don't know me, but can I borrow an extension lead and some electricity for a couple of hours, please? During a, an expected crisis of cost of <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Can I charge my car up, please? Yeah. <laughs> um, but that, that was plan B if it all went horribly wrong. But I worked out there was a 10 mile window. Now, the Ami does 28 miles an hour, but the last five miles it goes into turtle mode, and that means it drops down to 10 miles an hour. Oh, God. And Alan's just sitting there going like, what? Because he's never driven, he's never been in an electric car, he's never driven an electric car or anything like that. So he was literally going like, why did you do this? Because it'd be fun! And he thought, this is not fun. But we did, we made it back with 11, so my calculations weren't too far, we had 11 miles. So we were six miles off turtle mode <laughs> and uh, in, instantly when you say turtle mode you just think of like mutant ninja turtles but it's like no this is not a good thing it makes me think of Mario Kart oh, Mar- oh yeah I suppose yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah so that's how are we going on that because we've got the oh yes because of all these cars that like so there's the Ami which is electric but yeah. I mean it's no different from some sort of horseless carriage from 1890 true which was electric um, we've got this car which is really a 1986 you know, it's a 1991, but they never did it yeah. after 86. Uh, I've got a Fiat Marea, of which they're a wagon, of which there's like 67 left in the UK. Um, and it's 1999. Right. You know, and it like, oh, it's got multi-point fuel injection. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> like God, it's a carburetor on this thing. <laughs> yeah. It's your only car without a carburetor. By the time and I've it. got a 2008 Crown Victoria police car, which oh, I yeah. bought in Tennessee. So you don't have the Fiat 500 anymore? No, uh, the Fit 500, I... Well, that's actually how I got the job with the museum. Okay. Because took it out to the state. What happened was I'd taken this car to the States in 2006. And we did New York to San Francisco. And I found that there was a Fiat show in Detroit. And it was like the Fiat Nationals. Right. And I turned up. And we kind of, like, got chatting, got very friendly with everybody. And, you know, got like, you know, hi, this is Jim McGill. I had the weirdest experience, though. Because one guy who was there, obviously, because this was pre-Facebook, but um, I think we used forums back in those days, and I was on the Fiat forum. Yeah. And I've always been kind of very out about things. 
and, and it's America, so we're in the car park like the way guys do. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we're all standing around. Yeah, I've got my, like, pink gay wine. You know, everybody else has got a Budweiser or something. And this Which guy... Which is closer to water than your wine is. Yeah, probably. And this, this guy walks over, and he's like this grizzled guy who worked from Indianapolis, who worked on some Cadillac line somewhere for the last 40 years. Uh, a proper and bloke. He, yeah, and he goes, Jim McGill. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. They say on the internet you're a homosexual. <laughs> you're there with your pink wine. <laughs> like, you know the bit where you're sort of like rabbit in the headlights? And you're like, oh, my, um, right, um, well, they say a lot of stuff on the internet, don't they? Um, oh, is that the time? Must go to bed. And I'm like up the stairs, and obviously because of the time, it's quite late, but obviously I'm on the phone. Now. These people are nuts! <laughs> really strange people. God. But other than that, it was a very good experience. Um, so they invited me back. 2000, that was 2006. They invited me back in 2007. It was at the same time that Fiat launched the 500 in Italy on the roof of Lingaro. Yeah. And they said, oh, it'd be really nice if you, you know, if, you, if you had one of those to bring it back. So I'm, like, you know, knocking more pink gay wine into me <laughs> and sitting on, like, going, ah, oh, guys, next year I'll bring you a Fiat 500. Yeah, 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 we'll buy a Fiat 500. We'll bring one. We'll bring it over. Bring it to the show. It'll be great. And then I woke up the next morning and went, shit, love, we have to buy a Fiat 500. <laughs> so we bought a Fiat 500. We said it's a charity fundraiser for the hospice. We drove across America, called in with the guys at the show. And, and they went absolutely nuts. I mean, because Fiat pulled out of America in 1983. Yeah. That was the year that they founded the club. And they have not seen, unless they went on holiday, and they have not seen a brand yeah. new Fiat since 1983. Like, the last thing they seen was a Strata. Well, they... The late nineties, early two thousands, they've not really missed loads from. That was all the fun stuff, like the cup and like say Chinchilla Sporting and all that. Did sort of you stuff. see the FIFA Panda at Festival the next actually? Oh yeah, that actually I know that guy. His name's one out of my head now. Um, he's a, he's a big collector. He's in haulage, and he's got massive amounts of storage. Right. Uh, and and he's also um, he's also a screaming homosexual, as you may not have noticed. Right. I, uh, I didn't speak to the guy. Oh, you didn't get speaking to him. No, I just uh, saw the car. John Corbett. That's his name. So yeah, he's, he's a, uh, and, and I don't think he'd be offended if he like was described as a screaming homosexual, <laughs> because one of his charity events that he did, uh, he's got an absolutely immaculate first generation Rover two one three. Right. In the color from Keeping Up Appearances. That's very cool. So he dressed up as. Is Patricia Horge, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I can't remember. Hyacinth. Hyacinth. Hyacinth Bouquet. Yeah. yeah. Hyacinth. He dressed up as that and drove on this banger rally to Benidorm. <laughs> the whole way dressed as her. What a legend. <laughs> In this immaculate Rover Two One Three. So he's got like twenty cars and he has loads of them. But he's a big Panda fan. He's a big. He's, well, that he's, thing was like the number plate was like ninety eight EU or something like that as well. It's actually it? a Northern Irish number plate because you know the way we've got three letters. Yeah. So it was E U I, but he had pushed the I up to make it the one. The one. Of yeah, nine, yeah that's, that's how it kind of. It's, you'll see that a bit of like ones over here because obviously the police kind of look at it and just go, yeah, whatever. Because yeah, they, foreign, don't, they yeah. don't know. To be fair, Cyprus has a similar number plate setup to you guys. Yeah, I can, I, yeah, because uh, Cyprus drive on the right as well. Yeah, I was going to say that because yeah, because Malta as well is another one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, former British colony. Yeah, that sort of thing. Thirties or whatever. The British took a. They set up a train line in Cyprus. The the first ever locomotive is on display on a outside a building there. And um, there's a joke that it was so slow that there was an old lady walking down the road next to the train line. And the train comes alongside and the conductor goes, Oh, oh you can come on for free. Uh, just, just jump aboard. And she goes, No, thank you. I'm in a rush. And keeps walking. <laughs> 
Do you, do you know why the Japanese drive on the right hand side? Or, or right hand drive? Actually. Yeah, because it's actually trains again. So oh. obviously the Brits were everywhere and kind of did everything, but they yeah. never were in Japan. Right. But they went out and set up the railroads in Japan. And everyone was And on the they brought the trucks with them to set that up. And the trucks were all right hand drive. And obviously the Japanese were very famous about copying. So they just copied what they seen, which were these British trucks. Now and then they right. did that deal with Austin. And I think what the first Datsun was a copied Austin 7. Right. And they just kept the steering wheel on the same side. And that's why the, the Japanese are right hand drive. I didn't know that at yeah. all. So. Uh, funny enough, there's a lot of 90s and early noughties Japanese cars in Cyprus. We've just come back from Cyprus, so it's all very fresh in my head. But on the drive from the airport to where we were staying, we must have passed four like garages that had 15 Japanese cars. Yeah. Most of them RX-8s because they were all broken because that's what RX-8s do. <laughs> and then a few Celicas and old Civics and stuff like that. But oh, yeah, just... I've seen a couple of your posts about that, yeah. Yeah, just yeah. loads of them everywhere. It was weird. I was like, oh, my God, a Civic. And then by like the fourth day, I was like, another Civic, another Civic, another Civic, another Civic. Another... It's, it's bizarre how much... Because it's so close to the Mediterranean, they don't really rust over there. Yeah. So they were all just pristine cars from 30 years ago. The, the weird thing is um, Ireland uh, was a big dumping ground for second-hand Japanese cars in the 90s. Oh, I didn't so know you, got, you can always tell because they had the, the actual wing mirrors on as the, opposed to the, the wing. Yeah, yeah, the down there. Was next a big to the thing. Or you would sort of see like a Daihatsu Sharad, but it would have slightly different headlights <laughs> because it was the Japanese spec one yeah. with a different grill or whatever. And then that all kind of died out because obviously EU dropping tariffs, being able to bring cars over from England, which is obviously a lot easier because it's your closest right-hand drive market. Yeah. But then <clears throat> that thing happened. You all kind of like voted into. Um, well, yes. let's move on. Let's anyway, blame your generation for that because most of my generation voted the other way. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> but the the thing was though that so there's now twenty one percent. VAT and 10% import duty on cars coming from England. So it's actually went back the other way. It's cheaper for car dealers. Because this is a big thing. The market in the Republic of Ireland is not really big enough to actually supply the The new car market is not big enough to supply the second-hand car market. So cars have to be brought from another right-hand drive country. Yeah. So now Britain is too expensive. They're actually importing cars again from Japan. But the weird thing is it's German cars. So it's your Volkswagens, it's your Audis, it's your BMWs. They're all right-hand drive. But they're all right-hand drive. And they're coming from Japan. And again, it's the the weird spec because you can sort of see like they have the the different size number plate holder on the Yeah, it wouldn't be called like an Arty on it, it would be called something slightly different and stuff like that. Yeah, well, the the famous one is like, is it the Clio was uh, trademarked in Japan, so it was sold out there as the Lissetta or something like that. Yeah, it's got a different name out there. I've got that all wrong. By the way, can people comment on this? They possibly can I don't think I've ever looked oh that's good that's the best way to be with comments um, because this will all be that man is talking nonsense yeah I think the other thing is we're past the hour and a half mark so normally if we get to this point someone's got to be a real really in, either on a long drive or invested in the conversation <laughs> um, which I, it happens more often than you think and a lot of people I, I got into podcasts because I used to spend all my time on the road mm. and it's a nice way to kill an hour and a half yeah. of driving and if you're doing six hours in a day because you've got five different customers to go and yeah. see, you can break up a day quite nicely yeah. with a podcast. Um, which is why mine are so long, because it's what I used to listen to. So, But the other thing as well is this is the reason why I haven't actually wanted to do one of these before is because they have a certain length. Yeah. And you kind of very on, you have to be very on the ball. If I was taking this more seriously than I do, 
and if I was expecting this to grow into any sort of revenue generator, I think the golden number is about 45 minutes. And if I was being a professional, which I'm not very good at, I'd have some questions. But again, you're doing it on your terms. Yeah, that's what I mean. I do the things that I enjoy doing. Yeah. And because I am a control freak, I can do what I want. Yeah. So this could be a four-hour podcast if I really fancied it. Yeah. Because it's mine. Yeah. So I, I don't need to tick boxes for a boss. The whole reason I do all of this is probably because I just want to be in control of something. <laughs> yeah, I can yeah, see that. Great. I could just be in control of how this all goes. I, well, I briefly told you about that guy I was arguing with on Twitter. I wasn't really arguing with him. He was having a dig at me for calling a Rolls-Royce a flash car, essentially. And then he tried to drag someone who's been a very nice supporter of the brand into it, saying, I can't believe you support this company, and they trash people on the internet. And I was like, well, A, calling a flash car flash is not the biggest problem to worry about right now. No. And B, if you've read anything that I've put on Twitter, you'll realise that I'm just a bloke. This mm-hmm. whole brand is just me. It may look like there's about six people doing different things, but it's not. It's just one bloke running around. Being super busy. Yeah, just going, oh, I'm going to design a T-shirt, and then I'm going to do a podcast, and then I'm going to do YouTube, which I'm still... And I'll organise a cars and coffee. Yeah, fortunately I work with partners, so it may seem like I do most of the things, but I'm, I've been quite clever with that, and I work with people that have venues and time and space and go, look, this is your meet, just in association for the community benefits... They may call the money. I don't make anything out of it. It's a bit of brand awareness. It, yeah. It's giving back in a space that is suitable for what I do. Um, so the Coffees and Cars exists to create community, bring people together, give people a reason to get out of the house and hopefully make some friends and support independent business. And I like car meets, so why not do some? And hopefully if I pull a finger out and build a few more of them in the next 18 months, it would be one big event. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I look a lot busier than I am. And I consistently run into people and go, you're like the busiest guy in the world. I'm like, eh, I still work a full-time job, so I can't be that busy. Yeah. Um, and it's, I think, an important takeaway for anyone that has any sort of, kind of, wants to know more about how my stuff works, is that I have to make time to do nothing. Mm. So this week has been Monday... I finished working on Tacona stuff at half ten because I had to catch up from the holiday. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I finished at midnight just because I have so much catching up to do. Today, it is nearly ten o'clock. I don't really count this as work, but it technically would be. Yeah. But tomorrow, I won't do anything. I say that now. I'll probably end up... I've just re- received two huge boxes of stock that include three different designs that I've got to go out to people so you don't farm out like the way because I know Russ that does you know RJ autographics and stuff right. like that I mean he farms the whole thing out he just does the designs so um, is it Red Bubble Red Rubble red yeah bubble. Red I think Red Bull so so they he basically just like you know just hands out all out and just goes right you deal with it I'm the creative I'm not running a business here that way yeah the, when I but obviously you lose a lot of freedom there and obviously a lot of your I also lo- yeah you lose a lot of profits you lose a lot of control over the product quality. Yeah. And the ability to be creative with your product kind of goes a little bit because you're fixed on, right, it has to be a print on this box and maybe inside the neck and maybe on the front, which is kind of the formula that I follow at the minute, but it's not... I like having the freedom to call my guy and go, can we do this? And he'll go, yeah, we're going to have a go. Mm-hmm. 
and then we can do that. I don't have to submit it to a website that yeah. I actually have a relationship with an independent business. Um, when I started, that was my goal was to kind of be hands off because then it almost meant I could do it from wherever I was. So I could be in Cyprus and still have orders going out. Yeah. Um, the first company I worked with, they expected it to grow quicker than it did and the quality of the product wasn't quite there and for whatever reason that it just we it ran its course and I moved on to the guy that I use now. And when we started he was doing direct to garment printing, which is what Redbubble do. Mm-hmm. It's basically an inkjet printer for a T shirt. Yeah. So you can do one design and it just prints it on that T shirt and then it goes to the person. Yeah. Is great. It's ad hoc, and I suppose like, this only gives you more flexibility what you print it on because it could be a pillowcase or a shower curtain. Yeah, I could. I, I still may create a Redbubble account as an outlet for things other than the clothing. Yeah, just for the convenience of being able to have mugs and stuff like that. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of the designs I do would work in that yeah. space as well. Yeah. Um, but for the clothing, and Tacona inherently is a clothing brand, so I'm very. I take a lot of control over the, the clothing itself. Um, we started with direct to garment, and it meant that I could do one at a time, which was great. I was just starting, so being able to do one at a time was a hugely helpful factor. Mm-hmm. The flip side is it's three week turnaround for one T-shirt because it has to go into the chain of all these other orders. Whereas Redbubble are big enough to be able to do it in a few days, yeah. which again is to their testament as growth. Um, but then my guy's direct garment printer broke and he said look rather than replacing that I'm just going to do minimum order quantities screen printed take it or leave it I'm really sorry but that's where we're at fortunately got to the point where I could invest 200 quid in 12 t-shirts or whatever it cost at the time and I could try it and I was like well I'm going to start going to shows if I've got some stock I can take it to shows Mm -hmm. and now I the other aspect is I have complete control over my packaging yeah so conveniently my friend who we started coffees and cars with his cafe on a Friday and Saturday night is a pizzeria he's got pizza ovens in there and I said to him I was like I'm going to have to start shipping stuff out myself can I pinch a couple of pizza boxes see if a t-shirt will fit in them he's like yeah sure so he's literally sat at home pizza box I got some craft tissue paper from like hobby craft I I got a small vinyl cutter off Grace's sister's friend who was selling hers for like 100 quid or whatever and some vinyl again from Hobbycraft note to anybody that's thinking of getting a Cricut cutter don't buy Cricut vinyl because it's it's like 15 quid for a metre mm-hmm. whereas I can buy I think 10 metres for £7 from like MDP supplies or it's okay. just it's all vinyl it's all yeah. a standard thing so just an insight for that so I, I got the pizza box I printed a cut a sticker that fit on the pizza box um, I've revised this sticker several times because I started with a really big sticker and then realised I was losing 20 centimetres of vinyl for every pizza box and it was costing me 15 quid a metre or whatever it was at the time so they, I've revised that um, streamlined it and again this is one of those things where I, I start something I do it as simple as I can and what I can do and then I learn how to do it better yeah. um, put some stickers on the t-shirt went in the craft paper I taped the box up with some nice um, like recyclable tape. I'm trying to be conscious on that front as well. So pizza box is recyclable. This craft tape was recyclable. And the guy who the T-shirt was going to was... He's an, a brand ambassador of mine now. But he was someone that I'd met down in Brighton 
by chance and something. So I, if it went wrong, it was someone I knew. It wasn't like yeah. it was a customer, and it was about to completely ruin my brand reputation for that person. Um, so I messaged him saying, "Look, I'm going to try this. Are you okay being the guinea pig? If it all goes tits up, I'll send you another one. I'll take the hit, and we'll, we'll figure it out." And it worked. It worked really well. And so I started doing the pizza boxes out of necessity. A lot of this has all been necessity being the mother of invention. I happened to have a friend who could give me some pizza boxes. I happened to have to go into printing with screen printing, which inherently made the quality so much better. I was going to ask, yeah. The the screen printing quality is, the longevity is so much better. With direct-to-garment, what you'll find is after a couple of washes, it starts cracking. Okay. Whereas with screen printing, it's kind of rubber, the ink, and it's heat cured, so it's a lot more durable. And I've, I think I've had one T-shirt that's nearly two years old. It's just started cracking, and that's on a really small, intricate design. So it's the quality is really high. It looks really good. The limit we had was we were limited to eight colours, including white and negative space had to be the t-shirt colour yeah so if I wanted a design to go on a black t-shirt and a white t-shirt the ink it'd have to be black ink on a white t-shirt white ink on a black t-shirt and the negative space would be the colour of the t-shirt yeah so I had to kind of factor that into the design it's just part of the process that you learn whereas now we've um, actually got a new process that you have a white base layer that's screen printed mm-hmm. and then you have almost like direct to garment printed on top of the screen print but it means that the direct-to-garmenty bit is bonded to the screen print ink. Yeah, which you say is like a rubber coat. Which has yeah. got like this rubber coat, yeah. so you don't get the cracking, but yeah. you do get the quality of screen print, but you now have gradients and things like that that yeah. you can implement. So it takes the quality to screen print quality with direct-to-garment flexibility in terms of the colours you can use, mm-hmm. which is great. It really does open a new door, like the Porsche print that's this month's design. Yeah, same that, yeah. Which has been my most popular one ever. I've like done triple minimum order numbers and things like that within like three days, and I'm ordering stock tomorrow rather than at the end of the month, so that at the end of the month I don't have 150 to send out. I, I can stagger it. Um, that's I think it's nine colours because that's how the artwork looks. Yeah. But there's a bit of gradient and there's a bit of playing in it, which is testament to the quality that we can do now. So everything's been a mother of invention scenario, but I like, as I said a couple of times, I like to have control. <laughs> yeah, I've mentioned that. Yeah. Once or twice. Ideally, as this continues to hopefully grow, and I get to the point where I'm doing it full time, then I can have a space for it. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, there's a, there are two empty restaurants in the centre of Northampton within a 70 car car park it's currently a pain display car park and the restaurants are boarded up yeah but they used to be like Chinese restaurants so they've got these big oriental like you know the gate post things mm-hmm. on the entrance of the car it's a really cool looking space it's right in the centre of town in a one way system now for me that would be like end goal would be to get to that have a shop there and a cafe do cars and coffee there have a space in the back that can be for shipments and fulfilment stuff like that and alongside that have a network of stockists like that would be the the goal. Yeah. Um, so I'm currently talking with a supplier in Pakistan for stockist supply, and now that gives me another level of customizability because I can have neck lining that's branded, 
I can have embroidered neck labels if I want. Mm-hmm. I'm boat still out on them because I, I don't like an itchy thing in the back of my neck and I don't think other people would. And again, this is all, if I don't want to do it, then it's not happening. So if yeah. I don't want an itchy thing in my neck, I am not putting it in. <laughs> um, we can have like embroidery on the, the sleeves and stuff yeah. like that. Now that will only ever be for stockists because I like my print guy and I like doing the t-shirts of the month and it makes sense to continue doing that with him because we've got lower minimum orders and we can be creative but for stockists I can do a separate line and again it opens more doors and international blah 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 blah. so that's kind of hopefully where things are going and I can't remember your original question now why do I do it all myself Uh, yeah to keep control yeah because it, it's um, it, it's very interesting because I kind of get the sensation that I'm meeting someone who's on the cusp of like you know it'll be a couple of years and I go God do you remember Lewis from Tacoma God look at him now yeah has all those stores fingers yeah, crossed they, they sell it and I was going I was, I was in LA and I was going past him and there's Tacoma in the store it's with an N it's, it's written there look you and Richard Porter now yeah, <laughs> on my own good, but... podcast. Sorry, no, it's okay. I'm only pulling your leg. Um, well, there's a big part of me that takes a lot of inspiration from the Gymshark guy mm. who started in a bedroom and has grown this empire. And I think it, I think that Gymshark's worth a billion dollars or something now. Wow! And I think they're opening a flagship store and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And for someone like me, once I see someone else has cracked it, oh, it's possible then. I've just got to figure out how. And take it down to those I've got to take it down to the blocks. basic level. We start okay. with some branding, we start with some clothing, we start building a community around a brand and an idea, and then we grow from there. And as I learn the skills, and as mm-hmm. the brand then grows, as I learn more and the brand learns more, and hopefully we get to a point where, it, A, being able to do it full-time would be the first major yeah. step for me. And then the first store the first stockist the first Mm -hmm. venue like the first international like there's all these kind of milestones that could be possible and I think the way that I'm building it will allow them to be possible without kind of a flash in the pan moment Mm -hmm. because it's building from a small foundation up it might take longer but I don't have to go right I need a million pound investor to come and start this it's not Dragon's Dam yeah I've started it I've started it very small and I do what I can with what I've got but hopefully that will then continue to grow and the little bits will get bigger bits and it'll get bigger and bigger and bigger um, with this whole foundation built strong is the, the hope anyway. I think your idea with the, the tying it with a shop and a cafe and the cars because th- this seems to be a very big movement at the moment with like cafe machine yeah. built garage um the car well, crowd is cafe, cafe. Is cafe was the first one, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. There's so there's obviously Gilks. There's Podium Place. There's the motorist in Leeds who have a coffees and cars with us, um, which is a it's an interesting setup with them because they were doing it anyway. So it's uh, let's just raise some awareness kind of thing. Um, obviously, Cafe and Machine Vista is becoming oh, yeah. a different style, but a similar. Yeah. It's a community central thing. Yeah. There is a wave of it happening. Yeah. Um, and for me, having that space is more f- in line with the brand than anything because it is about community, bringing people together, yeah. creating opportunity for conversation, getting cars together. 
it's not just that oh those guys have all done that so I want to do that it's a well if you were building a community thing what would you do well you'd have a space for it you'd have a way to connect it to the people that it is about it makes sense to do a a, a physical space yeah um, plus if I'm going to have an office and somewhere to distribute from yeah well it might be more, might as well be multifaceted yeah and also pay for itself yeah like yeah. why just try and rent a unit in an industrial estate for probably a little bit less than the cost of a, an old place that you could renovate mm-hmm. when you could get an old place that has function and as you say can act as a business that isn't just this yeah like it can act as a coffee shop a retail store event location if you get the right place it then opens up the idea for like photography location even some video stuff it becomes a multifaceted business without it just being a clothing brand distribution center um, which it's it's nice to have these ideas because it gives you something to focus on or something to aim for because um, I have no idea how to start with that <laughs> even in its simplest form coffees and cars is about the simplest I can make it is yeah it's not my venue but we're building the idea of these community spaces and the next step from there is right how do I make how do I have my venue and it'll probably be maybe renting a space for a, weekends mm-hmm. and then almost like pop-up shops yeah and then that grows into renting a space full time, and then that grows into looking into buying property. Because <laughs> that's the other thing: if you can buy property in a good location with a good space and things like that, you've got an, an asset. Yes. That and it has an intrinsic value, whether the business survives or not. Because worst case scenario, you sell the asset. Yeah. Best case scenario, you've got an asset and a business, um, which I learned from. Frank Cassidy of Boxing Gas. I don't know if you've come across him. No. So he owns a brand called Black Betty and Co. And he calls it an industrial estate. It bloody well isn't. It's a hundred acres of very nice land in Oxfordshire with I think he's got seven industrial units within the grounds. Mm-hmm. But the grounds has like a lake. So it's like an industrial estate in a golf course. Like it's not really an industrial estate. And he lives on a like big, huge like farmhouse there. Um, but I was chatting to him about it. And he's like, yeah, I own land and property, and I rent it out, and it has an income rather than renting a space for my car. He's got about twenty-five Porsches. Hmm. He's like got a RWB style nine-nine-three and a three-five-six and a nine-thirty turbo, and you name a Porsche, and he's. Other than like a 918, because I don't think it, they interest him. But again, it's meeting these people that are inspirational. Yeah. And going, oh, how do I, how do how I, do I learn? From, how do I get from here to where you are? Yeah. And yeah. Same with like, so I'm wearing a, an Omologato watch, and Shami's been on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, again, he's a, a guy that, not, he doesn't fill that father figure space, but he, I, take a lot from what he does mm-hmm. as inspiration so he like, sponsors motor sports and he gets involved with up and coming drivers and motorbike races and stuff like that and he again started a, a business with an idea and is growing it into a, a globally recognised company and it's one of those like right he's doing it how do I take inspiration from that and learn how to do that um, 
And this has turned into my therapy session. Yes. Um, it's, well, it's one of the things I sort of notice with a lot of the people you've had on the podcast is that they all have these stories. Yeah. And these stories kind of have a, have a start, a beginning, and an end. Yeah. And they're, the, the middle bit is not normally great. There's a lot like, you know, um, Charmy was talking about losing his house. Yeah. Nearly yeah. losing his house. Um, Having his cars repossessed. Paul like from Gallagher? Paul Gallagher? Was that the right name? No. Uh, has the... Um, he had the car validating. Gardner. Gardner, I think. Yeah. yeah. So I think his big point was when he was working for that like um, property developer and the yeah. guy ran off with all the money. Yeah. And, he had and then he had a people to pay. and then he had his car budget in business and then his heart just yeah but he was working to... with people who like as you were sort of saying like you know we were talking earlier about like if you if you work with people who get out of bed on the wrong side yeah your yeah. day's shit and then his health condition as you were saying as yeah, well yeah. Um, you know so a lot of these people that you kind of have on then have these very distinct stories of going from point A which was less than ten pounds in their bank account yeah. to now I have a G what is it? It's not GT forty, what is it? It's the GT. It's just a GT. Yeah, the the forty was the original yeah, one. Yeah, the yeah, the previous one. Yeah. Um, you know, so um I, I find that really quite interesting. A lot of people that you talk to follow that. There is a plan. it's almost like a yeah, the It's linear. like you, you want to talk to people who who are doing what you want to do, if that kinda of makes sense. A lot of the stuff is I try and talk to people that I find inspirational if I find them inspirational other people will find them inspirational uh-huh. um, and I think a lot of in hindsight stories you can put a start middle and end to yeah like take me for example I started in a bedroom in Brighton I then lost a supplier I've moved across the country a few I've not had a big down yet so hopefully I'm not following the path that everyone else has followed <laughs> but in reality when I started about six months in I was off on stress leave for four months mm-hmm. and then I left UPS and then started for a, this enjoy to pay the bills really didn't enjoy it but I got one day a week in the week back mm-hmm. and that time is a valuable thing like a conversation I'm trying to discuss with Grace at the minute is do I drop to four days a week in my full time job and work an extra hour on the other four days to minimise the amount of time oh yeah like flexi time yeah so that I can have one day in the working week so that I can see people and do businessy things and have a bit of space so I'm not working till midnight on a Monday evening on stuff Um, but the enjoy thing I really struggled mentally because I morally didn't agree with the company no I feel but I had to keep paying the bills. Yeah, I know that feeling. So I had a lot of friction with the people in the company because A, I was sold a job that it wasn't. Mm-hmm. B, the company changed and I didn't agree with it morally and I've got a very strong moral compass mm-hmm. as it turns out. It's normally been the source of a lot of the potential fights I've been in. And C, it was a load of shit. The, the hours, it was, oh yeah, you do four out of seven days and it turned out pretty much all of that was weekends. Oh, okay. And doing something in the car world, you kind of need your weekend. So I was using all of my holiday just to have a weekend. Yeah. So that was really difficult. So if I was going to say I've had a difficult patch, I wouldn't say I'm in a difficult patch. It's this hasn't grown as quick as I would hope. So like the conversation with Shami was like, I had £10 in the bank. Within a week, I had four grand. Yeah. Which in reality, he's either sold 100 watches or he's sold 400 watches. 
based on his pricing. Yeah. Which is amazing. I've never had a week where I've sold more than 100 yeah. of anything. Yeah. And my stuff retails at 30 quid a t-shirt. Yeah. So the most I could ever have in a week is three grand at the minute, which is a lot. I'd be over the moon for three grand in the bank. But I started this three years ago. So if I was going to say my beginning was in a small bedroom I was renting in Brighton, the rough patch was it took three years at least for it to get to a point where I could do it. And those three years were working jobs that I struggled to enjoy and caused me a lot of stress and grief. And then hopefully the next step is, it went really well and now I'm successful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're still on your journey. I'm still on stage you're two, st- I Yeah, think. You're, yeah. Um, with, 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 without the Titanic moment. Yeah, but if you have a look at pretty much every story in the back, like from a re- retroactive perspective, like with your trip for the Orient Express, it started at the Orient Express, it was great. In the middle, you nearly got murdered. You beat them there and you got to, like, yeah. most stories have this, because that's how we kind of tell when we raise six rounds yeah. for an air ambulance yeah exactly yeah. so it's it's most stories have this beginning middle and end and this kind of we had to overcome an adversity of some kind because it makes the end even better like annoyingly Rick and Morty <laughs> the TV show one of their episodes kind of explained that process mm-hmm. and they called it like the story train and it goes through these points. I can't remember what they are, but if you're telling a proper story on like TV or something, it normally follows this same linear. And because we all consume so much TV and stuff mm-hmm. in our lifetimes, we kind of inherently tell stories in the path that is what we recognise as how to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably my analysis of why all of my guests have stories that follow that similar pattern. But the only thing is that that's the one thing I sort of like find coming along because obviously I haven't done this sort of like podcasting but I I was watching um, iPlayer one time and uh, it was one of those old Doctor Who episodes and Peter Capaldi is saying that he's an idiot in a box (laughs) and that's kind of like oh yeah (laughs) and and that's kind of really the best I could if you kind of had to like condense down it's like it really is just like I travel in this thing and I go places and I briefly interact with people and then I move on and and I don't really have that same sort because I can't turn this into a business or I think yeah that's I can vlog something and I'm not an influencer because all I can influence is go buy an old shite car and drive it somewhere like you know strange yes hello and my Renault five <laughs> yes um, you know and you need to drive that to Budapest I would definitely love to if I had any faith that I could get past over. Um, but I think that's the difference between you as a guest and the people I've had as a guest before is that most of the people that I have on are well, they're, they're quite, known for their career and they're quite they're successful. For. They yeah. are quite successful, which is how people given. know about yeah. them. Um, the, the flip side of that is I've had in the earlier episodes before I knew anyone. I was going to say before you were famous. Yeah, before I hit this influencer status that everyone yeah. keeps annoying me by going yeah you're an influencer there's a running joke between me Luke and the guys from the back roads TM they're probably listening and they've got a trademark and they'll pick up on it if I don't say it is we have this running joke that we just call each other influencers because we have a, a very small amount of people that actually do followers on social media yeah, and, yeah I'm the same I have like just under 10,000 followers yeah. but it's the same 50 people that talk to me we have enough of a if you look at it from the outside perspective you go oh they've got a bit of a following or they're getting known, or people recognise who they are. You can go to a car event and someone will come up and say, oh, I know who you are. So we have this, like, oh, you're an influencer. Like, 
I actually have had a few conversations with some proper influencers, mm-hmm. and they hate the term more than I do, which is hilarious because they're the reason it exists. Um, I, I did a go kind thing with a few guys who are on YouTube and stuff, and they've got a lot of followers, and they were like, "Right, we're all content creators." It's like, I get it; it works. You are actually creating video and this and the other, mm-hmm. but you are your USP is that people listen to your opinions or they listen to what you're doing or they watch what you're doing and they then want to get involved in that so kind of by definition you are influencers I didn't say any of this to them I was like great I don't know why I'm here because I don't have any following I just make t-shirts and tell people to talk because that, that was where I was going to ask is to what what do you influence if I influence anything at all it's that people should just talk more and I don't mean like if you're having a breakdown you need to call up your mates and this that and the other which if your social circle is accepting of that do it all I would say is that we need to just be a little bit more comfortable around our friends like yeah I don't need to sit here and go I am anxious about this that and the other and I'm worried about this that and the other and this keeps me up at night and blah 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 but simply sitting here and having a chat with someone and sharing stories is inherently a nice thing and it creates this nice positive feeling and you you may have had a shitty day mm. and just sitting down and having a coffee with a friend mm-hmm. and just feeling like it's okay to talk more openly and have conversations more and as a society that it's, it's alright to discuss the difficult stuff mm-hmm. and one thing that we've talked about a lot off the podcast was through the darkest stuff you have to be able to make jokes yeah the dark stuff has to have a way to be light otherwise it just gets darker and darker and darker and what we talked about with your sister and what I talked about from my time in the hospitals was the sense of humour you develop in the worst scenarios has to be exist yeah because if you can't make that situation any lighter it becomes unbearable and the stuff that I dealt with and the, the stuff that your sister, who is much more, like, dealt with much more worse stuff than I did, you have to be able to turn that into something funny. You have to be able to make a joke about it. And if we as a society can accept that it's okay to talk about the dark stuff and it's okay to make jokes about it, make it not seem as scary. It's a bit like the It movie. Yeah. As soon as you kind of go, oh, I am not scared of you, it becomes easier to manage. Yeah. And if it's more commonplace to go, oh, I could just do with going for a coffee or especially as blokes not feeling like I'm weak because I feel yeah I I, I unfortunately lost a friend of mine in April and it was when we were moving house we were in the middle of packing and I got the news about um, what happened and he'd he'd taken his own life and I just sat on the floor and cried for an hour Mm. and Grace was like I'm just going to leave you to it I'm going to carry on packing you come and talk to me when you feel like it and at that moment, even though I do what I do and I say what I say, because I've grown up in a world where that's not commonplace, mm-hmm. I felt guilty for feeling that emotion. I shouldn't be crying. I should be yes, a stoic. There should be yeah. a single tear running down my, my cheek as I get this terrible news that my friend has died. And I felt that guilt. And then I also felt that, like, you're a massive hypocrite right now. <laughs> it, it, be in this moment, feel these emotions, and 
feel everything. And one thing that I say a lot to myself is just feel it, be present right now, feel like shit, feel upset, cry, have an absolute horrible time, but acknowledge that you're feeling it. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't acknowledge the feeling, or if you don't feel it, you repress it, and then it comes out in a different way. That steam has to blow off somehow, so you might as well do it in the way that it's presenting itself, because that's probably the healthiest way to deal with it. Like The healthiest way to process that emotion is to let it hit you. Make sure you're in an environment that you're not going to be in like trouble if you yeah. sit and cry, or if something gets really difficult, but feel it. And for blokes, I think feeling is the challenge, or at least... Yeah, allowing yourself because that, that's one of the main reasons I don't have an awful lot of male straight friends. Yeah, because it's very difficult to talk to them in that way. Yeah, yeah. And um, again, going back to what we were saying about the generational thing, it is getting better. Yeah, you it know, is. It gets better, is you know one of those terms, but it is getting better. But that's through exposure, isn't it? And that's yeah. kind of and, what I'm trying to do with this is just not expose people to talking and yeah. emotion, but just to kind of bit by bit encourage people to, to do it a bit more but anyway, it's really quite funny but the, everything you just said there was pretty much my day um, because um, I, I've had the news that someone's killed no no not, not that bit <laughs> no uh, no what it's just that I let a lot of because um, I know I had currently ha- I've got what one car for the museum yeah. which I took to the docks and didn't realise the VIN number on that car is oh, different than the paperwork the, yeah so um that's kind of like, you know, this awkward situation where I had to ring my boss and say, hi, you know the way I budgeted all this out? Well, I screwed up because oh. I didn't check the VIN number because yeah. um, the French seller had put down a different VIN number. So that's kind of been resting on me. I have this 4.6 liter police car from Tennessee, which uh, I got home and found a huge puddle of transmission oil under. Oh. And uh, that needs sorted. Uh, this thing is leaking oil from the gearbox. Um, you know, which is something that 160. Wonder who's going to have the bigger number of drips. <laughs> this this one's not too bad. It takes about four weeks to get about half a liter out of it, right. so it won't be it won't be too much. And sort of the financial implications of all of this, and I sort of kind of bottled all this up and sat down with someone today and sort of went, I need to talk about this. Yeah. And the funny thing is, at the end, but I made this really off-colour joke about the whole thing and you could see the look of horror on their face of like oh my god he's lost it and I go no no that's just me coming to terms with I've got this out of my system and I can now treat it as a bit of a joke because it's now no longer this huge issue that every single thing I have is broken and I again it's like a control thing all of this stuff is now out of my control like this car is like 200 miles 300 miles from where it should be yeah and um, it's probably easier to get it fixed here. Right. You know, um, but on the other hand, the police car is 300 miles away on a different island uh, with my husband who just goes, well, I don't know what that means. <laughs> is it petrol? Yeah. Water? It's one of the, three fluids. <laughs> the lithium crystals? You know, um, so. Uh, is it uh, gin? <laughs> yeah. And then on top of that, I have to go tomorrow down to Ashley at Palmdale Motors and go get a 500,000 mile Citroen. <laughs> which uh, then I'm going to use with my friends to tour Scotland on kind of like their trip of a lifetime. 
So there's no pressure they there. They've put a lot of trust in you right there, haven't they? They have, I mean, because uh, this is kind of like, because they have sort of, they're in their 70s now, and they kind of treat us like, you know, adopted kids. Um, this this is kind of, they realize they're not going to be able to do this as much in the future. So yeah. they've, they've thrown a lot of money at this one. They're over for like three weeks. They went first class. They've never done this before. They've never flown first class. They throw all this in. And I'm rocking up in this Citroen with 503,000 miles on it, with stickers on it. Like what's Brilliant. that? What's the guy Pickering? Ron, yeah, is this something Ronnie about Ronnie Pickering, Pickering on the boat of it? <laughs> and I'm gonna be go like I have to explain this to people to Vermont. It's just not yeah, whatever. Okay. Um, so yeah, I just let all this stuff build up. Uh, I just you have an to... adventure ahead of you though. I have an adventure. Uh, yeah. Um, although again, I think that was sort of part of something because this this is because I kind of plan these things out because we did the XL one across America and we raised money for Alzheimer's research. Yeah. Sean from Morsels and Motors was going to do it with me, but it just didn't work out. And then Alan, my husband, had to drop in at the last minute yeah. and actually do it with me, which was quite good because as we said earlier on, I got quite sick at the end and yeah. ended up in an, in a hospital with a very large medical bill. Um, so thankful, thanks for you. Um, if the NFU are listening. Thank you. Uh, and travel insurance is very good. Plug. I was going to say you're going to need that. Yeah, but, uh, you know, so that, that kind of went wrong because we obviously drove across America, which was getting up at like 5 a.m., getting into this prototype Volkswagen, praying it would actually start. Because the, the, the actual car battery is from a Ducati motorcycle, so you can it's imagine... It's a full 12 volt from a car. Tiny, tiny, tiny little battery. God. Everything on it is made, made as light as possible, yeah. so... Um, you know, and this was the problem we had away because it hadn't been used when I first picked it up. Sorry, in Germany, yeah, it hadn't been used in ages, and it just con- it started off in English. It was set to English, but as the twelve volt system started to get less and less powerful, it would swap into German and it would scream things at you on the dashboard and like block <laughs> letters to let you know that it was dying. God. And uh, and this was a major worry, like driving this thing across America, that, like you know, because you couldn't take it to Volkswagen dealers. Yeah, it's not a normal Volkswagen. No, Volkswagen's plan for this is that you either ship it to Wolfsburg or we send a team out to fix it. And it doesn't charge, you can't charge, it's a plug-in hybrid, but you can't plug it in in America because American has slightly different phased electricity. Right. And this thing is so fussy. Because, again, for weight saving, nothing is backed up. So it was one hybrid charging system, which actually wasn't in the car. It sits in the boot in, like, this hard drive. Right. So you take it out and you plug it into a three-pin socket and then you take this thing that looks obviously like a Type 2 charger, I think they're called, right. and you plug that into the car. Whereas if you rock up at a charging station and actually start to put it into the socket, it pushes it back out again because it realizes it's there's a chip in the... Thing, yeah, yeah, and it, it doesn't actually have the capacity to take that charge because it has to go through the charging system, which is removable. Um, but and you yeah. definitely don't leave that. So know. anyway, that was all drama, drama, drama. Got to California, went, this is great, we're in California, we're in an electric supercar, this would be brilliant. And then I ended up in the hospital for 10 days. Um, so then we did that, and then I came back, and we had this sort of like planned that Alan and I were going to go to Luxembourg Pride, because Boy George was, was the headline act. Oh, right. And then we were going to go down into France for a while, and then I was going to meet up with friends in Italy. And it's like, yeah, this is great. Um, Alan got COVID, he couldn't make it, so I went to Luxembourg Pride by myself. Caught COVID there and then ended up seven days on my own in, in, a, France. in France in a French hotel, which I hadn't budgeted for. Um, so that was seven days on that. And then um, we actually had a, we had a successful wedding in the south of France last week. So I drove, I drove this to Spain last week. I admire you so much for driving this car as far as I, I think the thing is because I've had it so long. Um, I kind of, there's a big trust thing. And I think that's the problem we have with, with the five. It. We've had it for a year. And, or nearly two years now. 
and it's incrementally getting better. I think the thing is, though, it's like, because this is the problem that I had with this when I first got it, was cars that are not used an awful lot, then if you start using them like a normal car, they break down a lot. Yeah. And there's, a, lo- niggles, and there's a long period of getting stuck at the side of the road because the clutch cable snaps. That's what happened this year. Uh, fortunately, it happened half a mile from home, and I was doing 50. Oh, okay. And it snapped as I was going into fourth from third. Yeah. So I forced it back into third. I had never driven without a clutch before. And then I managed to, like, just get it into gear by rev matching and things like that. And I I only had to do a half-mile stint. So it wasn't like I was, like, bister and had to try and get back an hour's drive, which I wouldn't have even risked. Um, Even more fortunately was two... The last time it was driven... Grace was in it. But she likes it, doesn't she? She loves it. She's also very like, untrustworthy of it because it keeps breaking down. And my job at the minute is trying to build her trust in the car to drive it. Um, but the last time it was driven before the clutch cable snapped, she stalled it, flooded it, thought it broken, pushed it out of a main road that she just kind of like coasted into because it stalled as she was pulling out. Pushed it with some help because it's slightly uphill into like it's like a gate to a field with some horses in. Hazards on called me to say I, I don't know what to do. The car's broken. While she's on the phone to me, the woman who owned the field came to feed the horses. Saw a car in the way, thought she'd parked it there. Came screaming over at us, screaming and shouting, "You can't park there!" This and the other. I'm on the phone. I'm like, "Put me on speakerphone. Put me on speakerphone." Put me on speakerphone. I want to shout at this woman. Grace then put me on the passenger seat. I want to talk to this woman. <laughs> like, a, like the grown-up that she is. She's in like floods of tears. She's just had a break. The car's broken down. Mm-hmm. and She's trying to get to work and this and the other. So I, at the time, was working in Banbury, the other side of Oxford, about an hour away. And I had her car. Mm-hmm. So I said, right, I'm going to drive back. I'm going to give you your car. You're going to be an hour and whatever late to work. I'm just going to disappear. I was in a building on my own there's nobody here so they're not gonna i've got all the work that needs to be done has been done so if i go home nobody's gonna notice if they do notice i'll have that conversation at that point um so i drove back got to the car walked from the house to the car started it straight away and what happened she'd flooded it because she was trying and she was panicking so she'd flooded it and then it's not going to start and it needed about 15 minutes just sitting so by the time i got back an hour later fine and, but it meant that she didn't drive it yeah. that day and the next day when I drove it clutch cable snapped yeah. so if that had happened in the centre of Northampton I think her panic attack would have been much bigger than it was yeah. when it happened at the end of our street or whatever it around the corner from the house and that, that is the downside to it because you will get a succession of this now because yeah, obviously like you didn't drive it a lot through lockdown so well we didn't have it in lockdown but after oh, lockdown okay. oh. um, but January 21 but Whatever's going on now, I need to figure that one out. But again, that's a it's going to happen, and it's almost a mystery problem because it's so hard to diagnose. It's not a routine. Yeah. It's not like every time I do this thing, this happens. It's a every so often, if I coast up to the junction and I don't give it a bit of throttle as I'm coasting, it might die. It might be fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I one of the one of the times I guess to say I've had three of these. Um, and one of the ones where it did randomly cut out, it took forever to find out there was a tiny little tear in the diaphragm of the fuel pump. Right. Because the mechanical fuel pump will take it on that, same as... I couldn't tell you. I, 
Because it's not fuel injected. No, no, it's not fuel so, injected. Yeah, so it's so going to be like a mechanical be. fuel pump. The thing is, we thought it had a fuel pump issue before, and we were like, oh. And then there was something that was like, oh no, this isn't what we thought it was with regards to a fuel pump. And I've got a feeling that means that it won't be that. Yeah, because that's the whole thing, because that was what was wrong with mine. But the, the, the thing is with those, like there's 15 things could give you that. Yeah. Like um, what we found was there's a plastic plate that goes between the bottom of the carb and the top of the manifold. And we knew it had a crack in it. And that crack had kind of got a bit bigger and a bit bigger. And then it just created a vacuum leak. So mm. it wouldn't start. Mm-hmm. But we thought it was a fuel issue. Yeah. It wasn't. It was this plastic plate. Yeah. Swap the plate straight away. And it's those little things where it's like, it could be six different things yeah. that all give the same symptoms. And everything can only be fixed by putting another part on and seeing if it actually, yeah, yeah it's, it's a, yeah, it's a ball. The, uh, the start motor absolutely ate itself, just disintegrated, absolutely chewed itself to bits. But I took ages for us to realise that was what was breaking. Because it just crank a little bit and it was like, oh, the battery must be low. Yeah. So I swapped the battery and it kind of helped. And, and then eventually it was and you hit the start motor and nothing happens um, so we bumped it and then I drove it 40 minutes to Luke's workshop mm-hmm. which is brave because that's M11 and M25 and mm-hmm. if anything had happened on either of those roads and I'd stopped and it had cut and I'd, it cut out yeah. I'm stuck on the motorway with no start motor <laughs> yeah. um, so we bumped it I got it there fortunately I'd been given a spare engine and mm-hmm. it had a start motor bolted to it mm-hmm. they swapped the start motor and it it's like, yeah, that's it. Here's your old one. And there was like no casing around the solenoid. It's like, we've only seen that happen once before. I've <laughs> never seen a starter motor destroy itself this badly. <laughs> I was like, welcome to my life. Right, I've just bought some new seats for it from, I think, a Renault 7. But they were listed in the Renault 5 Owners Club. And they're orange velour. Mm. They're so cool. They've got like lumbar support and all that. They're really, really cool seats. And got them home for the first time the other day. Took the driver's seat out of that one, got the other seat, put them next to each other, and the rails are about an inch wider on the new seats. Oh, <laughs> it's like, right, okay. oh great. So I text Luke, I'm going to need a hand with this. He's like, oh, are you now? Maybe you should have checked this before you bought them. I was like, I was in Cyprus. <laughs> like, I had no way of going and seeing them or anything like that. A friend of mine went and picked them up for me and had to meet with an internet stranger. It's a weird thing about those cars, but if you look really carefully, there are two sets of seat mounts. So ah. you've got like a low spec one, so your seats will be like this. So, it's in like so they're on like a little rail, like a, a loop rail. Yeah. And the, the slider mechanism is at the top of that rail on the base of the seat. But the bottom of the loop rail, there's a plastic insert that it kind of sits on. Uh-huh. And that slots into a groove, and that's what you bolt the back in. Yeah but the front is just bolted into the chassis. It's all a little bit... Basically, yep. there's a, the cross beam has a slot cut into one end, like cut into the front, and then a hole in the top. And the seat doesn't bolt to anything on the chassis. It bolts into this plastic bracket, which is not very reassuring that it's a piece of plastic that holds the back of the seat down. But the front is bolted to the chassis. <laughs> Although, on the other hand, though, when it comes to cars like this, like you just pray for a quick death. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. my Mini, I got rear-ended by a BMW, and that held up surprisingly well. And it got shunted off at an angle, and it just bent the rear wheel arch onto the wheel a bit, and we crowbarred it out in a car park and drove it home. That's um, 50s technology. Yeah, it's not quite the same as rear-ending a lorry in a Mini, 
and uh, having all the trouble that that comes with, which your sister had to deal with. Oh, God, um, yes. Well, I'm not going into that story. I think that might be a bit too dark for a two-and-a-half-hour podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, these kind of cars, it's either you want a very small crash or a very, very big crash. Yeah. But you don't want every bone broken and paralysed. You want either dead or not hurt at all. Like... Those are the two options that you aim for. Yeah, because this is one of the problems I have with the army on the internet is because obviously it's it's basically a, a, an electric motorized porta potty. Yeah, because that same material with a little bit of metal underneath the the, the, the porta potty skin. And Harry goes, "If you get in an accident, you know you'll die." I'm going, "I've been driving a Fiat Panda for 17 years. <laughs> yeah. This is not news to me. Yeah, you know, this is not a big deal." No, the thing I'd like to try is the electric Carver. Have you seen that? The one that leans? Yeah, they've done an electric one. Oh. That might be an interesting one to suggest to your museum guy. Yeah, because it's somewhat, I mean, because the thing is, Jeff is one of those people, as I say, you, can, you have to really kind of like, you know, paint pictures to him. Yeah. Because um, a friend of mine wanted to sell him his Volvo 340 on Matic, um, which weirdly, Jeff has all the daft Variomatic cars, like all the different generations. But he didn't, the, when, when we kind of like were doing this, I just assumed that he would actually know. That this car used the same transmission because he's seen Volvo. Uh, I went, no, I'm not really into Volvos. But it was like it was only afterwards when the car was sold. I was talking to Jeff, and I went, "You do realize that is actually a DAF, and it's got the very." And he went, "Really?" And I was, so you, you, it's weird. You have to position. The, you really have to sell yeah, stuff yeah. to him that way, that, and why it should be in the museum. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's usually because he's like you know crossing the Urals on a unicycle is nuclear powered. That you know you don't get the time to sit down and go. Yeah. This car is really cool and interesting. And you, you know, send him a video it. of it going around a corner and it leaning. He'd probably be like, "That's really cool. How much did they cost?" Yeah, because he's he's got something. Insane. I mean, one of the things he's got is like he's got this giant wheel that you sit. So it's a it's like a motorcycle. Oh, a mono wheel. But the, wheel, the wheel goes around the outside. Yeah, around the outside. Yeah. He's really into aeroplane powered car. You know the ones that have the propellers on the front. Have you seen? Got a few of those. I saw. A, I'll send you a link to the museum and you can look at some. Oh, of definitely. Stuff. I saw a photo of a like an F one fifty. Like a fifties F one fifty with a aeroplane radial engine in it. God. Just you could just see all the pistons going around the front. I was like, that has to be lifted because they go all the way around. It's not like it stops at the bottom. But that sort of stuff is what I have in mind. Was it from Florida? I'm not. I just saw this photo of it. All oh, right. Okay. It's like on. Because if you ever see anything like you know. Florida man, by yeah, <laughs> you know the the whole sort of like oh look it's a Miata as they call them the MX-5 on like you know Suzuki chassis you know lifted and you know I've like, seen a couple of lifted Mark One MX-5s they look like a lot of fun. One thing I would like is a Safari 911. Yeah, if I cool. had a lot more money, I would Safari build a GT86. Yeah, because I think that is a nice equivalent car to. Because it's a bit like you know that guy with on Instagram with the 911 with the roof tent. The 996. Yeah. Yeah, he's doing a good job with that. And, and I'd have to say, I mean, that would be... Because um, obviously I drive around in crap and I love my crap, but if I ever won the lottery, that's the sort of thing that yeah. I would do, is I would buy a very expensive car and then put a rift on it. Have you seen the Caraba on Instagram? No. He's, I think he's American. He's a industrial-scale farmer. Mm-hmm. But he's got a 991 Rothmans livery off-road. Oh, and it's Very lifted nice. dirt tires, yeah. roll cage, all that sort of stuff. And he's one of those who's got so much money. He's like, I really like it, so I had it made. 
It's like, okay. Yeah, see, this is the whole big thing I find. because, like, you know, Jeff that I work for is, like, you know, this, you know it's, it's, it's like sometimes you talk to him and then you suddenly realize that you live in a very different world. You know, because yeah. he's a very friendly guy and, you know, we're... So you forget these people have different levels of yeah, like, money and life um, and things like that. You know, the, the recent one was, uh, you can look this up, um, Road and Track um, did a series of um, articles on... They called them the Death Eaters, and it was these cars which had like the Corvette, the Corvair, um, Tatra, um, the mid-engine Renaults. That all had this reputation for like flinging you into a hedge really yeah, quickly. Yeah. And it was really quite funny because like I I provided the Clio V6 to the museum, right? And it's still actually it was bought in Northern Ireland, and it still has a supplying dealer. So Road and Track actually rang up the dealer, and would you still exist? And they went, yeah. So we're just doing this article for Road and Track, and you're, this car came from you. You know, and obviously this is like you know been made on a test track in Tennessee. Yeah. yeah. So they, they they put this into the article, but they did one with the Tatra, you right. know, the one with the fin on the back that looks like some Batman would drive, <laughs> and they were famous during the war because the Nazis would um, come and take the cars and use them as official cars right. in Eastern Europe. Uh, but they didn't know how to drive them properly, so it was like early nine elevens because it's a V eight air cooled engine out the back. Jeez, in the back. And back in uh, the forties, thirties. 30s. So, um, they had this reputation of killing Nazis because they didn't know how to drive them. Um, so he's got this 1936 thing, which looks like it's got like a three headlights at the front. Oh, because they call them the, the Cyclops, don't they? Yeah. Even though that's technically wrong because it's got three yeah. rather than one. A big fin on the back. I've yeah. driven it. It's a really cool thing to drive. I mean, it drives like a giant Volkswagen Beetle. Right. Because, like, you know, it's just the front of it's so light and you get worried about crosswinds. But uh, Road and Track borrowed it and rolled it. God. You know, and I'm like looking at him going like, where do you get like parts for a 1936 Tatra? That's everything fabricated, don't you? And he was basically, like, oh, I always get them made. Yeah. And I was going like, anyway, it's not even that rare. There's 300 of them in the world. And I'm like, oh, I just okay. bought another one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally, it was like, you know, he, he, you know, he, he, he wasn't put off with the like the loss of the originality of this car yeah. because he's like, oh, there's 300 of them. You know, I just rebuild it. I mean, he's got a. a he always wanted one of these like gyro cars so this was like this thing that looks like a cigar and it's got a wheel at the front the wheel at the back yeah and it was a it was a a ford prototype from the 50s or 60s and obviously the car was destroyed afterwards so he always wanted one so he just went and got somebody to build him one the red one the red one yeah i've seen videos of that yeah Yeah, that's 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 from the lane museum yeah wow um you know and it's strange because i mean you kind of bump into people as you go along you know like donald i bumped into donald osborne a couple of times and he gave me a tour of the uh the newport museum that he's like director of yeah and you're kind of sitting there going why did i get this is weird and he's going oh jay would love to meet you and i'm like really that's that's the thing (laughs) I, do have I think a, the fun thing is that these people have that level of money and they are fun with it. Yeah, they don't take it too seriously. Yeah, like I know someone who has quite a lot of money. I mean, he has the Derek Bell McLaren F1 GTR, mm-hmm. the Harrods one. Mm-hmm. I've sat in it and he's got a P1 GTR in green and yellow and he's got a, an Enzo and two F40s and two LaFerraris and blah, 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 X millions, millions, millions. But he drives them everywhere. Like, there's a Shmi video where he's like, oh my god, an F1 GTR, and it's him in London just driving this £20 million McLaren on the street like 10 years ago. Well, the reason I got friendly with Donald Osborne, which is the guy off Jay Leno's show, yeah, yeah. is that he his garage in, in Rhode Island is a Ferrari Roma and a Fiat Panda. 
Amazing. And he he was he was on Matt Farah's podcast one time and he started randomly talking about me because he was like you know um, he was sort of saying he had the panda when he lived in Italy and he used to be like really freaked out you know driving at like 45 kilometers and it's like I know this guy on the internet who like you know drives his around the world yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what your reputation is going to be now isn't yeah you're the yeah. world round panda man yeah although the weird because I mean like, I've driven across America I think we counted if you can count both ways I think it's about seven or eight times now and I've done it in so all cool. sorts of weird. I've done it in the Fiat 500. Done it in this. Uh, done it in the Clio G, the V6. Uh, did it in a Fiat Tempra for our honeymoon. <laughs> um, you know, because um, that was the whole thing. Because like you know, we do these real strange things. So I bought this Fiat Tempra with the idea of driving across America. And I don't know why I wanted this Fiat Tempra, <laughs> but we. But it was some. It was Stu on Twitter was selling it, and I kind of went, "Oh, we'll buy it. It's like 800 quid. Yeah, we'll do something fun with it." And then Alan and I got married in Vermont, and we had that as our car. I drove it to California, put it on bring a trailer, told Alan that we'd sell this car and cover the cost, and not, it made a huge loss. And it's like, I've got, I've, I, I got like basically 1800 bucks. Right. There's a Volvo, and I'm in California, and I need to get back to the, the East Coast. Alan's got on a plane and went, see you later. This yeah. is your mess. Because he's you're a grown-up. And I kind of had to ring him and say, um, I bought another car. And he went, uh-huh. We'll definitely make money on this one. And he was like, you said that about the last yeah. one. So I'd taken this last $1,800 of mine <laughs> and put $1,600 but into a Volvo 740. <laughs> and then the 200 in the fuel. And 200 in fuel drove by. And uh, I drove back to Vermont and I put it on like Craigslist. And um, Volvo is just like, it was, by the way, this car was immaculate. Right. You know, it had a butterscotch interior that looked like it had never been sat in. It was a California car. They and it's the same with the police car. The police car's Tennessee. So yeah. There's not a bit of rust on it. And uh, the, the basically hipsters in trousers like yours um, started beating the door down. And I wanted four grand. I had always three thousand eight hundred for it. But the thing is, though, that only just covered everything. We yeah. didn't actually make a profit. Um, but yeah, no, Alan. There's your your story, isn't it? You had a great honeymoon. You had a a terrible middle where you lost all that money. Yeah. But you took a chance and you made three and a half grand. <laughs> you covered yeah. all your costs. But not no I have but the thing is though I kind of keep repeating this. Yeah. And um, I got talking to there's a guy uh, called Chris Obert who is the who was the last remaining Fiat dealer. So in the service book for this nineteen ninety one Fiat, if you look in the back it says if you take your car to the United States, there is a dealer in New York who will fix this car. Right. And there is a dealer in California, Chris Obert and Co. Oh, okay. So I actually have kind of good friends with him, or really probably more better friends with his wife. And, um, you know, well, he's, he's a very direct person. Yeah. And he was like, you've done very well for somebody with such limited ability. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's really what it is, because I keep doing this, and, you know, one day my luck will I think run the thing out. is, like, you've probably had more fun than anyone else. I've not. There's loads of people have had fun like this. I've just had more fun on a budget. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like you, there's a certain amount of doing it with money. Is kind of it's like if you play a video game with the cheat codes. It's not actually that much fun. Mm, yeah, because it's just easy. No, yeah. It's not hard. There's no challenge. But doing something on a budget with something interesting and having that adventure, the ups and the downs. They the downs are shit when they're happening, but when you look back on that story and when you look back on the experience yeah. they make the ups worthwhile like they make the ups better yeah if it was flat you wouldn't remember it but because you have these ups and downs and these adventures 
yeah, you may not be a millionaire, but you've probably got more valuable, precious memories, and you've had more fun and enjoyed things more yeah. than someone that's just had it easy because they made a load of money. Yeah, well, like in the last probably in the last lot of years, we take COVID out of it. I've probably slept more nights in this and than in hotels. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, and it, it, it's you have these like you know if you could troll back through my Twitter, you get these weird comments like in the middle of the night because I was actually in that Volvo in New Mexico when I was sleeping on it. And there's like this tweet somewhere about can coyotes open doors, <laughs> which was me because I got woke up in the middle of the night and by a coyote, uh, by a lot of coyotes. Right, and you're like, can they get in this car? It was like Jurassic Park. <laughs> you know, yeah. can they open doors? This one, you're safe because people can't open these doors. <laughs> yeah, and actually, weirdly, it's the same with the Ami. They have the same push locks as well, oh, but they're on the body rather than on the door. So you, pop so you have it to and push, the and the other door pops open as well. But yeah, and it's, it's the same thing like you know, with the police car because like you know I am probably underwater on it and it's all a bit sort of kind of dodgy and I should have probably got rid of it a while back. But, yeah. but again, it's got a story. You know, I was in Tennessee. I delivered a car to the museum. I kind of was going to be in the states for another month. Could I rent a car or could I buy one? So I went and I bought a police car yeah. off Facebook, and I met this guy forty miles outside Tennessee or outside Nashville. Um, at a deserted gas station and he let me know before we got there he would be packing and I had to ask what's packing? and then I wished I hadn't asked because <laughs> he's like I've got a gun yeah I've got a gun and we turned up and we and bought like, this I'm Irish <laughs> yeah I'm probably scarier right now yeah, you could do the calm Irishman voice the calm Irishman voice well the thing was though he was called Cody Duggar and the first thing I thought of that is a porn name it is isn't it and it's like Cody Duggar does Dakota yeah and uh, but he was a very nice guy. As I say, we bought this car and uh, it made it as far as New York. And then COVID happened, and it got stuck in New York. And then I thought, you know what? I'll I'll bring it. I'll bring it, bring to, it, the back to, the I'll bring it to the UK. Um, forgetting that there is now lots of extra taxes involved in yeah. like things and transport across the, the across from America was a lot more expensive. Yeah, the shipping containers for a start have gone insane on. Yeah. And I've, as I say, now I've got like fuel is at its most expensive prices for and the last decade. And you've got a six point two liter V eight. Uh, Four point six. Oh, okay. yeah. Full police, full police spec. Yeah. You know, it's like that bit from the Blues Brothers. It's got cop tires and it's got cop suspension. Has it got a ton and a half of metal mounted to the front bumper? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah, it's got the full wrap. It's the Rhino bar. Yeah, yeah. it's got the full wrap around Rhino bar. It's got the spotlight on the pillar. Oh, I've no lights. Good for rabbits. They they got uh, the the lights got taken off on the outside. Um, but I'd still have the police radio with the loudspeaker. Oh, man! Comes in very handy in the queue at McDonald's. Move it! Oh, you, I would have. So oh, much. and I've got the sirens too. The I sirens should. Wrong. I'm putting this out there that it's probably best that I never have access to a loudspeaker on a car <laughs> because I will be a nightmare. <laughs> I am. Yes, a, Grace, I am, is pro- Grace yeah. will probably go tick that off. You yeah. Know? She would just spend the day taking it. Really sorry about that. Sorry. <laughs> Put it back. Because I am, I'm not aggressive, but I'm not shy in the car. Really? Yeah. So did you hear me beep earlier on the way here? Uh, and that guy walked out in front of me. No, because you, you had overtaken me in a 30 zone at that point. I, <laughs> and then overtaken the car in front. Yeah, and then tried to run down the pensioner. Yeah. That's not <laughs> what happened. What happened was we put up a set of lights that was two lanes and I went in the outside lane and as I was approaching the outside lane red light, it went green. So I'd be past you both. 
because you were slowing down. And then you overtook him anyway. Yeah, well, and then the lane vanished. I was like, is he going to make it? Is he going to make it? And then the pensioner ran out in front of me and I beeped at him. Oh, okay, right. No, at that point, I was going, I'm going to show you a clean pair of heels. This panda may be 30 years of age, but I can show you that I will keep up with your 1.1... 100 cc's more. Yeah. Actually, it's a 1.124. So I've got 124 cc's more. Ah, right, okay. I think, anyway. It's not the 999 one. 956. That's it. Yeah. My Mini was a 998. Um, I think we should probably wrap this up here. Yes, that's fine. That's I, fine. I've, I've kept you going for how long? Uh, two hours and 51 minutes we've been sat. Is this your longest? Possibly. Oh, Lord. But I am going to break it in half. Okay. Um, basically, it's going to make two hour and a half ones. Okay. Which is normal length for one. However... It's been an interesting conversation, so I'm not in any way like, oh, we dragged this one out, haven't we? <laughs> We've actually had a lot of like stories, and I've shared more than I normally share. Apparently, that's which my makes that's, me that's a my bad sec- host. That's anything. my secret skill, apparently. Well, I think you have the ability to be quiet, which most people don't, especially okay. me. You can ask a question, then just shut up, <laughs> and then people will just inherently keep going. And I have this ability to just keep going regardless of whether someone's listening or not. So it makes for this perfect combination of you. You ask in- a question, then I just carry on. But you're an interesting person who does an interesting thing, who has asked me to come to talk to you. Well, Which, so this is, and I don't yeah. know a lot about what you did. So that's why probably, as I say, I thought I it was a little bit. I feel more I should you. probably ask more questions because I don't know a lot about what you do either. Other than travel around the world, I don't do anything. And as I say, I have this little gig with the museum where, like, you know, I take cars out to them every now and again, and try and tie it in with maybe a little bit of charity fundraising. And again, it's it's very similar to what you do, but I don't have direction. Right. It's the the whole. I need to fill. I need something to fill my day. I need something to entertain me, and I need to have some sort of purpose. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say to you earlier on. I'll do this very briefly because we're I'm going to make this time because you're like you know like you're seven minutes left. That's okay. Hours, is that this is probably one of the reasons why I was having a little bit of a meltdown earlier is that I don't have anything. This is the last thing I have, like meeting right. a podcast guy and doing some sort of podcasty thing. Um, and then after this, it's like, oh god, and then it's going to be winter and it's going to be cold and we're all going to freeze to death and we have no money and I have nothing to look forward to and nothing planned. And that's, that, that was part of it as well because yeah. I've had a big year of doing stuff. Doing stuff. That's a, a challenge. We spoke briefly about your sister and not being a paramedic anymore yeah. and how much yeah you get wrapped up in what you, you do yeah because that's one of the problems I find with Americans because they are very obsessed about what you do yeah when you meet them it's like so what do you do and what do you do and it's like well I do stuff with cars yeah like what sort of stuff Just stuff I travel I travel yeah I you know kind of yeah. like deliver cars you know, but I at least have, have the I make t-shirts I'm, I'm the t-shirt guy according yes. to Richard Porter as opposed um, to the who guy yeah. who I am according to Richard Porter <laughs> um, to be fair he didn't know who Luke was he just knew his car and his Twitter handle mm. I at least got um, the, the t-shirt the guy t-shirt guy yeah a little bit more of a link <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and a reference to a Toyota pickup Yes, which was his reply to uh, my tweet pointing out that he said it wrong. He went, sorry, I must have had the Tacona pickup truck in my head. And I was like, oh, well, I, I can always get away with it. It's the Ulster Scotch pronunciation of it. Because <laughs> yeah. I didn't really listen in school, so I have really terrible pronunciation of stuff. And that's my answer to everything. Because I used to be like, oh, I'm really sorry I mispronounced that, whereas now I'm just like really ballsy. And go, well, actually, that's the Ulster Scotch. Yeah, it's, it's, stop fucking it's how I talk. me. Stop, uh, stop discriminating. Yeah, because we haven't done Thullum. 
because um, there's a U in the word film. Yeah. Uh, there's phone. Um, as like there's a couple of extra syllables in the telephone. Oh, in phone. Yeah. Um. So yeah. I thought you were saying fawn, like yeah. a baby deer. And there's no difference between Joan and Joanne. They're basically the same word. And it's just it's it's all just down to the way I speak, and also because I didn't listen in school. That's okay. Half the words that you guys have have unnecessary, like they are like four letter words that are actually eight letters long when you say them out. Yeah, they well, all get stretched out. Yeah. There's also a lot of weird stuff as well because like Siobhan is my favourite. Siobhan. Well, again, this is the whole big thing because this is the Protestant thing. Because I was in my mid twenties before I could actually work out that Siobhan was Siobhan. not Siobhan. Yeah. Because again, it's that not part of that community and yeah, not part yeah. of that thing. Or Gronya. What? Gronya. It'll grow on you. Is that no? What that's in a girl's name, Gronya. That's a name. That's a name. Yeah. That's, an, that's a conjunction of three words. Yeah, Gronya. And it looks like you look at there's somebody's name, and go Grianni. Oh, that's where that one... Oh, okay. Yeah. And you're like... Oh, no, they go, Gronya. Oh, right, okay, sorry, spot the prod. Yeah. Wow, I, I've learned a new word. Yeah. And name. Yes. And, and there you go, it's a perfect way to end the night. <laughs> Every day is a school day. Well, thank you very much no. for doing this, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for reluctantly coming on here initially. I know your first response was, I'm not interesting enough to be talked about. And I had to go, well, you are, because you've been recommended to me as someone interesting enough to talk about. Mm-hmm by someone that I value their opinion and you've quite clearly proven that you are mm-hmm. so you can take that away with you oh thank you someone says you're quite interesting <laughs> yeah I, I meet interesting people all the time and, and put you on that on that list thank you um, no thank you for sitting and chatting with me for three hours along with the other two and a half hours we had <laughs> beforehand or two hours or whatever we met at, up at half six it's now eleven o'clock so uh Three and a half hours. So it's a successful date. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's gone well. It's probably gone better than mine and Grace's first date. <laughs> well, she fell and you she fell and I didn't catch her and then uh, dropped her on her head. Yeah, and then we went for food, and then I basically treated it like a therapy session and oh, just went okay. through all the crap that was going on with my life because she's a psychology student. I was like, oh, free uh, free session. Um, and I have no idea how I got a second date, which is why I think it's actually just one big case study. Okay. Um, well, it's the car. It's like you know, the Batman line about like chicks dig the car. Yeah. So I had the GT86 when we met, actually. Oh, and on our yeah. second date, we nearly had a very big crash. Drama. Yeah, a car pulled out in front. I've got it on video, actually. I'm not going to share it online because I might come off not in the best light. Even though I wasn't at fault, because someone pulled out in front of me. Um, but it was very close to a very nasty crash, which I don't know if that helped. <laughs> well, I, w- um, I was going to say, like, for I think I told you earlier on that, like, my first date with Alan, I turned up in a Rover uh, P6 V8, yeah, which got me the second date, yeah. But even though he's not a car guy, he's not a car guy, but it was interesting. Right. It was like it gave this you guy, that USP, that guy, yeah, that USP thing, that other guy. And this is one thing I always find like a lot of like you know with like people who made friends with me through the gay community because I'm in like the gay classic car group. Yeah, is that you do stuff that is interesting. Yeah, you know you don't sort of like you know watch Netflix and go watch drag shows and talk about RuPaul. It's yeah. just you, which is nothing wrong with that. But it's just you know I do something different. But yeah, the thing I was going to say was that like yeah the bar that we went to on our first date and I rolled up in the V8 and we chatted away and had a really nice night. A guy got murdered in in a sectarian attack the next week. Wow. 
So it's like one of those sort of like, you know, it's like, hey, because we're driving through Belfast, and you always go, do you remember that bar? It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, we had our first date. Yeah, it was really, oh, that guy got murdered there. Yeah. Ah, that's really tainted our first date experience. So that's the equivalent of you with, like, you know, near killing Grace. Yeah. I wonder how many people have been murdered in this car park in Northampton outside a football ground. Uh, I think you actually have to have people here to be murdered. So, yeah. yeah, that's the main thing. Yeah, I think yeah. safe. Yeah, you're pretty um, safe. But right. this has been an absolute pleasure. Yes. And thank you for taking the time and enjoy your drive over to Cambridge from here at yes. 11 o'clock at night. And on that note, it's three hours. So, thank you very much. Thank you.